<laughs> sense of theme here. Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. Uh, thanks for downloading, listening to uh, the podcast of the Gary and Shannon Show. Now, if you want to listen to it live, you can do so every weekday from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. in the greater Los Angeles area on KFI AM 640. Or you can go onto the iHeartRadio app and just type in KFI and listen live, listen to old shows, etc. Make sure that you subscribe not only to this podcast and share it with all your friends, but the pre-post podcast as well, which is bonus content that we can't do on the air for legal purposes. Mr. President, could you tell us to what degree Gary and Shannon helped to shape your views on this national emergency? I, I would talk about it. Look, Gary Hoffman has been a terrific, terrific. I think he's a great guy. Shannon Farron. I don't know her. She's off the reservation, but anybody that knows her understands that. Gary and Shannon. They did a great report of me. I say, where the hell did that come from? So I just want to thank everybody. I want to wish Gary and Shannon great luck and speed and enjoy your life. And thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. in that forecast. You got to fix that, Michael. I'd like to. I'm sick of it myself. Good Lord. My How seasonal... are we going to play spring training games, Michael? I don't we... know. All next week, it looks like it's going to be raining off and on. Uh... After, Friday, after Monday, right? You know what? I'm going to do the show from home. I'm not even going to come in. I can't deal with all that rain. You're yeah, going to get... live in a desert? Yes. <laughs> You're going to get paler. Oh, that's not a ha- I don't think that's possible at this point. <laughs> paler. I'll be uh I'll be transparent like a baby hamster. Oh. Yeah, you can see my internal organs. <laughs> Look, that's my liver. Well, what a shocker that that North Korea and the president have different accounts of what went down at this summit that was cut short. Hey, sometimes you just got to walk. Sometimes you have to walk. That's exactly the way the the president uh, ended his trip to Vietnam. The president told reporters that the North had demanded a full removal of sanctions in exchange for shuttering the Yongbyon nuclear facility. Which North Korea says, no, no, that is not how it happened. They say that the North demanded only partial sanctions relief in exchange for shuttering its main nuclear complex. I get the impression that nobody said the word China, but that that has a lot to do with what we what they were talking about in Hanoi over the last couple of days. Yes. That nobody wants to point to the fact that that is the elephant in the room. Um, but that that's really what's going on here is this ongoing discussion about our trade talks with China and their impact on and control over North Korea, the lifeline that they are to North Korea. I wonder if that is actually something that's going on. Here's what the president said uh, after all of this was wrapped up. He was going to go to Air Force One to get on the plane a couple hours early because there was going to be no signing ceremony. There was nothing to sign. Here he was standing right next to Mike Pompeo. On North Korea, we... Just left Chairman Kim. We had a really, uh, I think, a very productive time. We thought, and I thought, and Secretary Pompeo felt that it wasn't a good thing to be signing anything. I'm going to let Mike speak about it. 
But we literally just left. We spent pretty much all day with uh, Kim Jong-un, who is uh, — he's quite a guy and quite a character. And uh, I think our relationship is very strong. But at this time, we had some options. And at this time, we decided not to do any of the options. And we'll see where that goes. But it was uh, — it was a very interesting two days. And I think, actually, it was a very productive two days. But sometimes you have to walk. And uh, this was just one of those times, and I'll let Mike uh, speak to that. Yeah, for no, a that's minutes, not please. what that was. You know what that is? That is the president who hasn't slept because he has been watching <laughs> his former buddy, Fixer, roll on him on Capitol Hill. That is the sound of somebody who is tired, overtired, and says, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to go back to America. I'm not going to have a lunch with this little guy. I- I'm done, and I'm pissed off. And I'm tired because I haven't slept because I was up all night watching that testimony. Yeah, he did say that he did watch at least some of that uh, House Oversight Committee hearing that we played yesterday, um, which, if you were in Hanoi, started at 10 o'clock at night mm-hmm. and went all the way through 5 in the morning. Yeah, so he didn't sleep. He, I, don't, I don't know if he watched the whole thing, but I guarantee you— It was about he, him. He, Of course he watched it. Uh, if something's about him, he's on top of it. Beyond the fact that he's—you know, the, the incredible jet lag or— Body oh, yeah. clock issues that come with this traveling is the time. to Vietnam. It would have been about this time that he had that availability that it'll catch up with you. Yeah. You know, a couple days and then it hits you, especially if you're not sleeping uh, when you're supposed to be. By the way, Mike, as he's called, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, does say nuclear negotiations with North Korea will resume quickly. Yeah. Now, that's that's the positive, I guess, that you could say that came out of this was it's a it's proof that we, the United States, are willing to go to... Uh, all ends of the globe to talk to this guy about what's going on. But at the same time, how many more of these can we do? How how willing is President Trump to jump on Air Force One, fly halfway around the world for a day and a half, a two-day summit like this, and come away empty-handed? I can't imagine that this is that, that he's going to have much of an appetite for it going forward. And and who knows? Like you said, the the fact that we have two very different reactions to what actually happened and what was discussed at the table and the final negotiations, I think is pretty interesting. It's not a shocker. I mean, they both want to come out smelling like a rose or that they had the upper hand or that they were the more reasonable one. Right. So you knew that you were going to have differing accounts as soon as this summit was placed on the calendar. By the way, uh, this was the very first time that Kim Jong-un took questions from foreign media. Oh, wow. Uh, afterwards, uh, after the summit I don't know, broke down, ended, whatever word and you want to term. what did they take that opportunity to ask him about? Uh, well, he didn't miss a beat. He was asked by a member of the White House press pool about his outlook on the summit, and he said, it's too early to say. I won't make predictions. This is uh, early on, but I instinctively feel that a good outcome would be produced. This was before the president said he was going to have to turn around and, and leave. Um, he a- answered several questions from American reporters, including the AP, Reuters, Bloomberg, said he thought it would be a good idea to open a U.S. liaison office in Pyongyang and said through the interpreter that he wouldn't be in Hanoi if he weren't willing to discuss nuclear uh, – he wouldn't be willing to discuss denuclearization. So uh, shouted or unapproved questions were not translated. Uh, But when Trump would respond to some of these things, I guess uh, he felt like it was important for him to – and the, the question I have about this guy, total side note, doesn't really matter to the whole summit issue, is how much English does this guy actually know? I mean, he, studied, he went to school in Europe. I mean, it's not like he doesn't know 
English is the most uh, yeah. commonly used language when it comes to international relations. I'm curious to know how much he does understand. Well, we're going to talk to Brian Suits all about this summit and what it means and where we go from here coming up in about an hour. Uh, also, Justin Warsham is going to join us next hour. We're going to be talking about free-range parenting, among other things. And a little bit later in the show, Lady Gaga finally explains what happened on stage at the Oscars with Bradley Cooper. She says what you saw is what you are supposed to see. Oh. I'll tell you all about that. Okay. Coming up next, Michael Cohen back on Capitol Hill for closed testimony. And while one mob-connected man says he should shut it, shut that pie hole. Now I'm gone, now I'm gone, now I'm gone. Shannon. Actor uh, Luke Perry is in the hospital today. 52-year-old actor was at home in Sherman Oaks yesterday uh, and had what has been described as a stroke. Uh, that could mean a lot of things in terms of the severity, but there were uh, there were some screaming headlines this morning that this was a very serious thing. So he is in the hospital locally being taken care of. Santa Anita is probably going to reopen today. Racetrack officials say that they have uh, fully inspected the track, set to reopen. This came after 19 horses died since the end of December, uh, which is about twice as many at the same as at the same time last year. And they're saying rain may have something to do with it, but it's not the only cause, that's for sure. Michael Cohen is back on Capitol Hill today, this time to testify behind closed doors to the House Intelligence Committee. Um, The way the Associated Press writes this up, they say that the president's former attorney delivered explosive testimony yesterday Mm -hmm. to a House oversight panel. I did not think that it was explosive. That was not a word that I would use. There was very little new for me that that was that came to the surface. I mean, there were some anecdotal stories that uh, that I was not privy to conversations between the president and Michael Cohen that he detailed. But all of that we knew. Yeah. I, I, it was just... Is the, just the putting it out there? Yeah, the explosive part of it, I think, is just a reference to the fact that he did it in public, that he did it by name. I mean, his big moment at the beginning of his uh, in his opening statement where he said, uh, in, make no mistake about it, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump, which... We all knew months ago when, right. when his indictment, when he, when he got in trouble with the Southern District of New York. AOC had a good day. We were talking to Wayne about it earlier in the office when she seemed to laser focus in on financial details about the president. And did he undervalue his properties so that he would face a, a smaller tax bill? And Cohen said yes. And she said, uh, do you think we should uh, look at his records more? I'm paraphrasing, you know, look at his records more carefully, uh, bring his records up so that we can know if this happened. Uh, and some are saying she laid the groundwork for a, a subpoena of his tax returns. Those Democrats have been dying to get their hands on. I would say along those lines, that was one thing that came out yesterday, which was maybe in question that we weren't certain of. But there were questions that were asked of Michael Cohen yesterday that his answer had to remain quiet. He would say something along the lines of, I can't answer that because that happens to be something that is under investigation currently, either by other 
uh, committees in Congress or by the Southern District of New York, uh, which would potentially be the financial issues that he was talking about, the financial hijinks. Uh, a result of yesterday, by the way, one of the topics that kept coming up in the intelligence, uh, the uh, oversight committee yesterday was Republicans kept suggesting that the reason Michael Cohen had flipped against Donald Trump was he was not given a job in the administration, that Michael Cohen had worked for the president for eight or ten years at that point and wanted or had ambitions to work in the White House in some degree, whether it was in the White House counsel's office, uh, Donald Trump Jr. and Eric Trump seemed to think that he wanted the chief of staff position, something like that. And Michael Cohen denied that left and right yesterday, saying that those are not that's not true. And then guys like Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan, they get up there and read tweets from people who say, I directly heard from Michael Cohen that he wanted a job, that he was pissed off he didn't get a job in the White House counsel's office, that he was passed over for White House chief of staff. So today, Jim Jordan, the ranking member on oversight, Mark Meadows, a Republican, they wrote a letter to William Barr, the new attorney general saying that Michael Cohen committed perjury during his hearing before the committee yesterday. And remember, Elijah Cummings, the chair of the committee yesterday, came out firing on all cylinders in an attempt to try to prove how truthful Michael Cohen was going to be by saying, if you lie to this body, I'm throwing the book after you. I'm coming after you. I'm going to charge you with perjury once again, and you're going to be in trouble. And Michael Cohen said, you're absolutely right. I would never lie. Wow. So they've, uh, they have at least suggested that the Department of Justice look into potential perjury charges again. Well, Michael Cohen talked a little bit about getting uh, death threats and uh, worried about his family and things like that. He doesn't want his family out in public. You didn't think that those threats were coming from sitting members of Congress, but at least one member of Congress, Congress tweeted to Michael Cohen the night before his testimony do your wife and father-in-law know about your girlfriends? Maybe tonight would be a good time for that chat. I wonder if she'll remain faithful when you're in prison. She's about to learn a lot. Wow. He walked that back after people said, what, what the hell are you doing? And he tweeted today, I personally apologize to Michael Cohen for referencing his private family in the public square. Regardless of disagreements, family members should be off limits from attacks from representatives, senators, and presidents, including myself. Let's leave the Cohen family alone. What a bonehead thing to do. Uh, An heir to the Gambino crime family has issued a warning to Michael Cohen saying, you better keep your mouth shut. This is uh, Giovanni Gambino. Giovanni Gambino, of course, the son of of the Gambino and the uh, cousin to Carlo Gambino, says that, Inmates love Donald Trump, and they hate rats. And if you want to get out alive, you better keep your mouth shut, or else you're going to go the way of Whitey Bulger, Uh-oh. who ended up getting murdered in prison because he was a rat. Okay, but let's talk about where Michael Cohen is going to prison. It is not Rikers Island. The mob it's, extends everywhere. I know. They but, are everywhere. But I, he's going to a camp. He's... He's going to a camp. Uh, yes, it's called FCI Otisville, but it is a minimum security camp known as one of the cushiest in the entire federal prison system. It's often requested by uh, by inmates who happen to be Jewish because of the special religious and dietary provisions offered there. Michael Cohen happens to be the Jewish. So 
It's a Jewish summer camp that he's going to. What are the chances that the mafia infiltrates a Jewish summer camp to put a hit on him? Uh, they could do that. I'm not saying they couldn't. I'm just saying what are the chances? There's a lot of Jewish people wrapped up in the mob. Yeah, but not on the cutting edge, not on the uh, not on the violent side. I'm just kind of obsessed with the mob right now because I'm listening to Crime Town, and it is <laughs> such a good podcast. If you're oh, into I the see. mob stories at all, the characters in this in this true story are fan freaking tastic. They say the f word so much, <laughs> and, that's and your, that's the your stories bar. are so colorful. They're I mean they're cinematic. It's just, it's insane. If you're into mob stories, Crime Town is the name of the podcast. I just don't think a mob enforcer named uh, named Moisha is going to go into Otisville and take him out in the shower okay. at some point. All right. You're going to strangle him with his tefillin or something yeah. like that. Look at you and your knowledge. I'm just saying. You're such a shiksa. Is that ram, right? Ram a shofar up. Huh? Luke Perry, all the latest. Word that he had a stroke. We'll get you all the details when we come back. Also, tickets to that Fred Hall show. We'll give them away when we come what? back. I'll tell you how you can win. Gary and Shannon. Yahtzee. I could lie, could lie, could lie. Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. Gary and Shannon. Some good news for Robert Kraft today that we'll get to coming up next. <laughs> that headline was horrendous. This one? No, I won't read it. It's from the New York Post, so you can imagine. They get creative. Hey, uh, the Fred Hall Show is back. Don't miss out on one of America's largest fishing and boat shows in the western United States. The Fred Hall Show coming to the Long Beach Convention Center March 6th through March 10th. The ultimate experience with hunting, camping, fishing, diving, off-road vehicles, and water sports. You can get all the information at fredhall.com, but... We have a four-pack of tickets that we're giving away right now. Caller number 6, 1-800-520-1KFI, 800-520-1534. Yeah, it's time to call. Come on, it's time to call. Let's call. Yeah. Again, fredhall.com for all the information for the Fred Hall Show. Well, yesterday for What You Watch on Wednesday, we talked about the reboot of 90210. Remember, most of the core cast from the early 90s was going to come back this summer. To do what's kind of being described as maybe like a Curb Your Enthusiasm type of thing where the cast comes back and the the gist of the show is a 90210 reboot. But they kind of are playing the the people they are in real life. Uh, Anyway. Everyone got excited. It hurts my head to think. Everyone got excited about it. Um, Two names left off the comeback list, though, were Luke Perry and Shannon Doherty. Of course, Dylan and Brenda, a huge part of that show. My favorite part, really. Um, And Luke Perry's currently working on Riverdale, shooting in L.A. And I don't know what Shannon Doherty's got going on. I know she was battling cancer uh, recently. But anyway, the door was left open for them to join the project as well. Well, on the same day that that news comes out, it looks like Luke Perry suffered a massive stroke. Yesterday morning, just before 10 o'clock, about 9.40 a.m. Yeah, uh, they said that uh, somebody called 911. We're not quite sure who. I mean, I guess it could have been him. You're talking about what a stroke would do to you, but I guess it could have been Luke Perry who called. 
But it came into the fire department, someone suffering a stroke. He was transported to a hospital. They haven't said much, or if anything, actually, about his condition. The update from about an hour ago, two hours ago, sorry, says that a, uh, a representative for Luke Perry talked to TMZ, and all they would say is that he's currently under observation. Now, TMZ described it as a massive stroke. Yes. Which is which is not good news. Uh, I don't think any stroke for anybody is good news, but a massive stroke is, protect, uh, is uh, particularly bad news. Um, and going back through some of what Luke Perry has done, the, I got to admit, after 90210, Luke Perry fell off the radar for me. I uh, did do some movies. I remember there was a, a rodeo movie he did. I think it was called Eight Seconds. Yes, that was a good that was a good movie. Here's the thing. You always see Dylan McKay and everything he does. When yep. you're on a show for that long, you become that character. I thought it was interesting when I was going down the Google hole. Um, first of all, he was, his, he was born Coy Perry. That was his first name, Coy, C-O-Y. Hmm. And he tried out for Steve Sanders' role on 90210. That was Ian Zeering, right? Right, which is completely the opposite of what Dylan McKay was. Right, because Luke Perry, the Dylan McKay character, was this brooding, dark, yeah, surfer. Motorcycle. I don't care about anything, really. I'm too I'm, cool. I'm just too cool to care, and I love my hair, and it's effortlessly like this every day. And, and Steve Sanders was like this uptight, wound-tight, Hollywood guy that cared about status and everything that Dylan McKay didn't care about. I thought it was so funny that he tried out for that character. Like, it's just a 180 from in, where he was cast. In that context of, when you know, all the roles that you see Luke Perry in, you see Dylan McKay. He said uh, a couple of years ago, I'm going to be linked with him until I die. Dylan McKay, that is. He yeah. says, but I'm fine with that. I created Dylan McKay. He's mine. Now, he did not come back. There was that spinoff that showed up on the CW a couple of years back. He said, um, when you're in the professional acting business, you have to look into all these offers. And I don't mean anything bad about it, but creatively, it's something I've done before, and I don't know how it will benefit me if I do it again. Specifically, he said he didn't want to do the show, the revival of 90210, because Aaron Spelling was no longer going to be a part of it. Obviously. Oh, interesting. So, and he says, it, it, it's different when CW brings something back. And Aaron Spelling brings something back, and he says, I can't do it without Aaron. I thought it was cool to watch 90210 when uh, when Shannon Doherty and Jeannie Garth and uh, Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling came back at limited roles on that. That was cool. It kind of sucked me in because they were there for a little bit, and then they were gone. Now, and I guess his role as Dylan McKay, like he said, you know, being identified with it, and you mentioned that you just see it in him, whatever character he is. He was able to turn that into guest spots on, I don't know, a dozen other shows where he would make fun of, either specifically make fun of Dylan McKay slash Luke Perry or characters like that oh, where he's playing sort of caricatures of, of who that was. But uh, that's, uh, that is too bad. Well, again, we don't know exactly the prognosis or what the condition is right now. He did became, uh, sorry, he did become an advocate, they said, for testing for colon cancer. He underwent a colonoscopy about four years ago that revealed that he had precancerous growths back then. Um, and obviously that was taken care of. So I don't know. I don't. Would a, would a drug past have any impact on the propensity for strokes? I don't think he had a drug past. Well, at least there was nothing that rose to the level of, you know, being publicized. But I would be I wouldn't be surprised. I if think Dylan McCade did have some struggles with alcohol and or drugs. Yeah. 
which is maybe why you and I both had the same thought. Because I had that thought this morning. I feel like I remember something with drugs and alcohol. And it's like, well, that was Dylan McKay, <laughs> not Luke Perry. Well, we wish uh, him the best, I guess. I mean, I don't know. We get a, he's not listening well, yeah. to the show, no. I assume. No. I don't know what hospital he's in, but... <clears throat> All right, coming up next, good news for Robert Kraft. We found some details about the ladies that were servicing him, and they may work in his favor. So it's a better story? They get off in this. No, 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 that's probably a better... That's not the right term to use. You might say exonerated. Get out of this. Exonerated. Get out of this. Speaking of, uh, the president is in Alaska, by the way. He left Hanoi, Vietnam earlier today, and he is in Elmendorf Air Force Base in Alaska for refueling on Air Force One Mm -hmm. because he hates California. And why not go to Alaska in February? So uh, he's actually – they're saying that he may make some comments from the Air Force Base. And if he he does, we'll definitely listen in on those, maybe some more reaction to what happened at uh, at the summit that he had with North Korea's leader. Yeah, it's between 21 and 32 degrees Fahrenheit in Anchorage. Sounds nice. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Gary and Shannon. North Korea's foreign minister disputing what the president said happened at that summit between Trump and Kim Jong-un, saying that the uh, the North demanded only partial sanctions relief in exchange for shutting down its main nuclear complex. Trump said that the talks broke down because Kim insisted on all the sanctions being lifted. Hmm. Well, we'll try to get to the bottom of this, at least to some degree. Uh, Brian Suits is coming in at 1130, and we'll talk more about what this summit really was, what was really going on with this summit. And even if we walk away empty-handed with no agreement, do we get anything out of this? The president, by the way, is in Alaska right now. Air Force One has stopped over there for a refuel, and he's at Elmendorf Air Force Base, and he's making some comments. We'll, um, we will record those, make sure that we listen to him, see if there's anything that he's going to say that uh, about the summit that we don't already know. Some big NFL news out of the combine. Kyler Murray has stepped on a scale and been oh, measured. Oh, no. What? Five ten point one, and 207 pounds, which is essentially the same measurements as Russell Wilson, and so everyone's losing their mind. I don't understand. Also, big news, Jason Witten. Of Monday Night Football? Yes. Who's ter- not good, right? Well, he's... I mean, he struggled. It's a tough job, probably. He's no Tony Romo, clearly. He is no Tony Romo. Well put. Look at you with class for a fellow broadcaster. <laughs> um, he is leaving that gig, and he's coming out of retirement to go, go back to the Cowboys. He's 36, P.S., uh, the same age as, um, as um, Antonio Gates, I think. Is I think he he's really? also 36. They're giving him $5 million to come out of retirement for the 2019 wow. season. For a 36-year-old tight yes. end? That's huge. Also in the NFL, Robert Kraft. Yeah. He, uh, he has requested a non-jury trial and will plead not guilty to two misdemeanor soliciting charges in Florida. It doesn't look so bad for Robert Kraft. Um, The women that he was caught on video with are the spa manager, she's 45, and a 58-year-old licensed masseuse. The manager's name, nickname, is Lulu, by the way, if you're wondering. 
I wasn't. Now, the thing that he's charged with, the soliciting charges, it doesn't really have anything to do with that when you take into account that these two women were not trafficked. He's not being charged with sex trafficking. He's being charged with payment for sex, which is illegal. Right. And the Jupiter, Florida and and, uh, state of Florida law enforcement have been making a big deal out of this because of the number of people who are caught up in this in terms of that they are victims of this human trafficking. And these hundreds of uh, Johns that have come in are the ones who provide the the demand, I guess, for their supply. The former prosecutor in the Manhattan DA's office, a guy by the name of Eric Snyder, talked to The New York Post about what he thinks will happen, what he thinks are glaring issues in the case. And he says that the prosecutor is going to have a tough time proving this. He said there's no proof in the affidavit that Robert Kraft solicited anything from the women. He raises the possibility that this could have been a legal and consensual act between... Time a, yeah. out. Yeah. Time out before mm-hmm. you even finish that. Maybe Robert Kraft and Lulu are just friends and consulting consenting adults. Time out! Robert Kraft walks into a massage parlor just for a massage, and Lulu is so overtaken with him and his six Super Bowl rings that she yes. says, hey, I got something Maybe else Maybe she's for a huge Patriots fan. Okay. And then it would still be legal if he turned around and gave her 200 bucks, like, oh, here's a gift. It could be a friendship gift. So he says the, the fact supporting a misdemeanor charge of solicitation really doesn't jump out at you. He says, second of all, the video was probably not legally obtained, that the police ignored the necessary requirement for such an intrusive measure, like planting a camera in these massage rooms. The law stipulates that police should only seek warrants for surveillance cameras if no other evidence is available to support their case. So Kraft's lawyers could argue that that video footage gets thrown out. Also, the traffic stop. The traffic stop doesn't seem legal because... He was driven by a friend, right, in that Bentley. A Jupiter police officer pulled the Bentley over on a traffic stop and asked Robert Kraft, the, the passenger, for ID. You can't do that? That's Legal experts say it's illegal because it appears to have been done on the pretext of a traffic violation, oh. but was in fact carried out to ID Kraft, which is illegal. He may... He may not get in trouble for this. But again, like we said, he wasn't going to get in trouble anyway. It was going to be community service and a fine. Right. It, it's, a, it's, it's literally the same as a traffic ticket. That's the way it's been described by Jupiter Police. Yes, the, the bigger issue is the human trafficking that they say has been going on in these massage parlors. But for Robert Kraft specifically, it was, a, it was an infraction. Now, the, the women that were involved in this, although... They are considered at least potentially, like you were saying, the defense attorney could argue that this was a consensual thing, which is laughable. But Lulu faces charges of maintaining a house of ill fame. Well, Lulu knows what's going on. Lulu knows what girls are coming through those doors and uh, and where they came from. The second woman in that whole thing, Shen Mingbi, is a 58-year-old spa employee. She is believed to be cooperating with authorities and that has not been arrested nor charged with anything. Well, she's going to be the one that sets up Lulu. Yes. She's going to be the one that sings like a canary and says Lulu was into all sorts of sex trafficking and um, underpaying these these workers. It almost, if you're Robert Kraft's attorney, do you continue this fight in a very public sense? Or do you just say, Mr. Kraft, 
just just write them a check. Get this over with. Get it out of the spotlight. Stop bringing it up. It's we not don't need gonna, any more headlines. It's not going to get out of the spotlight regardless of how they handle the case. Hmm. And the toothpaste is out of the tube. That You are a horrible person and should be reprimanded for that. I'm calling the boss. You know what I mean? The damage is no, already done. I know exactly the damage to his reputation you said the is already paced out of the tube. Well, how else do you say it? Give me another analogy. Robin, did you hear that? Yes. She said toothpaste. She said out of the tube. Just like I, I was noticed. at a barber school or something. I noticed. Like that. Looks great. I did ask John from the morning show last week. I said, "Hey, did you get a haircut?" And he said, "Yeah." And I said, "Did you did you pay for it?" Wow, <laughs> what a nice coworker you are. <laughs> the president's on a haircut. The president is speaking with troops in Anchorage, Alaska. He's at Joint Base Elmendorf Richardson. He looks tired and pale. Been away from that tanning. Uh, Booth slash spray tan machine for too long. He does look weirdly Caucasian. Yeah. You guys. He's tired. I know that. I don't think he slept on this trip. I just don't think so. I think he stayed up watching Michael Cohen and he got pissed off and then he had too much adrenaline to sleep and he's just running on fumes. Yeah, but but, uh, flying on Air Force One is not flying on Alaska to Oakland. Yeah, there's a bed in there. There's probably several. He could probably sleep in the aisle. I don't think he slept well. I think he's fuming, probably, ah, with Cohen. The, he's got the anger sleep. Going. Yeah, the anger sleep. Bottom, Speaking of the anger sleep. Bottom of this hour, we're going to talk with Brian Suits about North Korea, about the summit that the president is making his way home from and what this means because they left. We left that summit with nothing. I mean, no signed agreement, no nothing. And uh, there's, I have questions about what sort of impact, if any, China has had in all of this because the, nobody talked about them, but I kind of feel like they were the ones who were sort of the main uh, players in all of this, getting something done or getting nothing done. Well, it is 11 o'clock on a Thursday, which means we get to hang out with our friend Justin Worsham, host of the Dad Podcast. This song came up in my car the other day. It's like my, on an iPod Shuffle or you yeah. heard it on the radio? No, it's on my iPod Shuffle. And uh, you roll it down and you throw an elbow out the drivers and just be like, so I would if my wife wasn't with me. What? That makes it better. She she gets to shake her head. She has a way of uh, asking me if this was my music because, my you know, we're all on the same account. So my daughter's music comes up every once in a while. She goes, did you put this song on here? And I say, yeah, this is Justin's song. This is the from Atmosphere. It's Bad Daddy. She just, in, in her own loud, silent way, just said, okay, that's all. And then I turned it up a little bit. What do you think her thoughts are when she does that? What do you think her thoughts are? Yeah. She's like, I just wasted 21 years of my life. <laughs> that's what her thoughts are. I hope it doesn't last, Does but every, I, there's a flash of that, I are assume. You, I, I know we got to talk about sleep, but I'm sorry. But one more quick question is that are you, I feel, I have a theory that every couple has one, like, unassumed hip-hop fan right like there's in every couple there's somebody who's like man do i love me some Mm hip-hop yeah regardless of ethnicity whatever like just i love it in mine it's my wife's like that's that's her thing it's really it's really unfortunate when you love 
hip hop and and gangster rap, and then you marry a, a gang prosecutor. That's Why? a real big problem. Does it? Is it because, because Greg- if he catches me <laughs> listening to any of that, it is not good. What? It is not good. I'm oh. so glad I asked now. Forget yeah. everything we have to talk about. But you're right. It seems like every couple has one person that's into it. Is it because he's su- super passionate about his gig, and so therefore he, he, he knows that- what it all represents? Yes. Even though he understands it's an art form, he's not mm-hmm. trying to censor it. He understands that you just enjoy it for maybe the rhythms and the and the, the tone of it, but uh, the idea of the culture that it creates for I love him, all of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's a problem. It's a problematic With zero area. irony, you love it all. No, I love all everything about the music that you just laid out. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good to know. You can listen to it uh, to go to sleep if you want. She was listening to Bone Thugs and Harmony earlier today, and we were trying to figure out, can we do an entire day of Bone Thursday yeah, and it Harmony? Yeah, it's going to be Bone oh! Thugs Thursday. Yeah. yeah. Yes. All right. Let's Best talk about show on the radio. This is prob- <laughs> I think if you were to ask my wife the worst aspect of child rearing, mm-hmm. not, not being a parent, but child rearing, uh, I think a lot of people would simply say the sleep deprivation. Yeah. That, that not only are you um, tapped out during the day, but you're not getting enough sleep at night. Not, is that not a- only is your body blown up yeah. by, by childbirth. Wow. Thank you for that. Wow. That pause is that pause was Gary seeing the landmine. Yes. And then and then, and then I charge said, it forward. Hey buddy, here's this come on, no, step around. Follow yeah. my footprint. Yeah. And he goes, nope. No, two feet. <laughs> two and what feet, all both the radio the listeners just heard was a click click. And this every Shannon and I looked at Gary yeah. and he's like, I can't move now. I can't move. I'm stuck here forever. Somebody find me a sandbag. So I'm gonna be living in the office now. I hope nobody minds. But you've got the the third trimester of pregnancy is right. the most uncomfortable. Then you've got the fourth trimester of pregnancy is the way that my wife always describes it as after the birth, you're still not back to normal. That you don't you don't snap back all of a sudden. And add to that the sleep deprivation that comes. Women suffer it a whole lot more than men do. Although there are men who plenty, you know are willing to volunteer to get up in the middle. Yeah, of that's an overgeneralization that I'm offended by. But go ahead, Gary. You were saying tough. <laughs> I'm stuck on this landmine. Don't forget. (laughs) I can't move. (laughs) Researchers tracking the sleep of thousands of men and women as their family size increase found the shut-eye hits a low three months after the birth. Obviously, the effect is strongest in women, but the sleep deprivation lasts for years. Yes. 40 minutes every night for the first three months. And then after those three months, which I find very interesting, it jumps up to an hour. And I was actually just talking uh, to Blake Aloysius Stone in the break cause about what that theory is, like why after three worry. months. Is it worry? Well, for me, uh, it was the fact that, and it's a common mistake that, not a mistake, but it's a common misstep that new parents have because you, what happens is the baby comes home and you're like, oh, and then all of a sudden they slide into a groove within the first couple of weeks, if you're lucky, of sleeping all night. And then you're like, this is awesome. And all your friends hate you. Right. And then all of a sudden the baby turns like somewhere around two and a half to three months. And then it just, I don't know where stops sleeping all night. And you don't know why. And it's because they're teething. The teeth are starting to push through. So you got to check their gums to make sure if they're a little red, you give them a little teethers. And then you get your sleep back. You put a little whiskey in there. Yeah. The doctors do not recommend whiskey anymore because that even in small doses. like. But in the olden days, they did that, right? They did do that. Yeah, absolutely. But. Uh, the pediatrician that we have on the dad podcast is he's the guy who likes to joke about old school ways and how they worked. He is very against the whiskey thing because in large doses, if you give them too much, it's really, really hard on an infant's liver, like big time. Not, so save the whiskey for daddy. 
is what I said. <laughs> put the whiskey on your own gums. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Although I did offer, my son lost a tooth. I did offer to put a little whiskey on it for him. But he's seven. He's, his liver's fine, guys. It's going to be great. <laughs> Got to get fine. that liver ready. <laughs> but, uh, so the other, but the thing that I thought was so interesting, two big things that came out of this article that just kind of blew my mind was, number one is that, sure, that first kid, big drop-off in sleep. But there's an even further drop-off that gets added on to that when you add the second kid. And then a third kid is another drop-off that happens. And the reason why it says, like, six years is what a mom loses, right, Is and I've noticed this in my wife, too, is that after the kid is born, you never, ever have a full night's, like, full, comfortable sleep. And if you do, it's an anomaly, which is fascinating to me. That I feel like I get it a lot because I'm the dad. I'm uninvolved, right, guys? I don't, I don't, I don't hug my kids. I don't tell my. You don't even them. know their names. I just slap them on the back of their head and say, "Knock it off, Nimrod." Um, their names are the same. That makes it easy for me. But my point is, it's that. But my wife has that worry, like every little noise or anything like that, always wakes her up. She's always, you know, shifting around. And I think that to speak to Shannon's point, it is. It's the anxiety. Even if you've gotten four kids, and everybody jokes about how the fourth kid you don't even worry about. But you still don't get as much sleep. Even if your kids are 16 and 19. You oh, probably that's, a, that's a different lack of lose, sleep. But it's Do you worrying. really lose sleep? Like, I think your parents you never stop worrying about you. Yeah, I don't. And I, this is where I, I have a weird disconnect is that I worry as a parent, like if I'm doing a good enough job. I can definitely relate to that. But I had a conversation with a couple of moms this morning, and they were talking about how they worry about if, uh, if what's the best, like, dance team to get their kid, like, that kind of yeah. worry. Never have any of that. I never. No. Like, I go, and they go, well, what if your kids don't do anything extracurricular? Like, we don't want them to burn out because they need to have something to do in high school so that they can interact socially. And I was like, who cares? Like, they'll figure it out, That's man. what moms worry about, though. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I would say the sleep that's lost as the kids get older is, is more about the worry thing. Like, um, when they're out or... Yeah, but I mean, you, I don't like to sleep. Like, I can't sleep comfortably. My wife can't sleep comfortably if the kids are out and coming in. You know, if they have like a midnight curfew, whatever the scenario is, we'll just probably stay awake until midnight. Really? I mean, just just cause. I don't disagree. I, I'm just so far from that. Yeah, like the You'll idea. Get there. I, I, it, the idea of staying up till midnight simply because I want to know when my son is coming home is very foreign to me right no, now. No, you're totally going to be that Here's guy. Here's the thing, though. Oh, you I, think so? Yeah. I, and I think that your will wife... Will I be the guy who uses the... Because I will track them. I Trust me. I've, I think I'm up to 27-point technology contract. I've made some addendums to Gary's. Gary and Shannon... Bottom of the hour, Brian Suits is going to be, and we're going to be talking about the uh, the summit with North Korea. It's over. The president's on his way back to D.C., but empty-handed. We'll see uh, what exactly was going on with all of that. Martha Stewart's getting into cannabis. I saw that. She is going to be partnering with a cannabis company to assist in developing new products that uh, offer hemp-derived Cannabinoid, cannabinoid. Now, but she's doing it. She's doing the CBD stuff, not the THC. First to come will be offerings for pets. Uh, do you think that comes from her time with Snoop Dogg? Or yes, yeah, okay, clearly, yeah, he's I mean, got a strong influence. Yeah, but he's doing the THC stuff and less of the CBD. THC being the stuff that gives yeah. you the the high, the CBD. That's... Thought, I could be the yin to your yang, baby. D O double G. <laughs> what did I ruin the show? Yes, I'm sorry. Justin Warshaw, host of the Dad Podcast, I'm myself out. Totally joined kidding. us. <laughs> Let your kids uh, be free range, guys. Uh, Everybody's going to be fine. 
Stay dry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the latest. South Carolina has a bill that would look at the free-range parenting. What's going on with this? So they're trying to – there's only nine states in America that have an age limit, and it all varies, but it's usually somewhere between 9 and 12, uh, interestingly enough, depending on how uh, much closer you get to the equator is how I will put it. Uh, in, as far as when you could – what is okay to leave your kid alone, either in the car or at home? The state of California is not one of those states. We do not have a law saying that if you're 12 years old, you can leave your kid at home. So what ends up coming out of it is kind of a gray piece of legislation that uses the word like neglect. So it's up to uh, an officer or social worker's opinion to determine whether or not neglect is happening. So what South Carolina is trying to do is add that age to their legislation bill, and they're having tons of subcommittees. And I just... I love this argument because, A, it's a part of what we always talk about is that pendulum swing of coming back away from helicopter parenting, away from the idea of lawnmower parenting, and more towards kind of the old school way that kids of the 70s, 80s uh, grew up with. And there's tons, I think there's tons of benefits, but there's one of the interesting things that I did not think of is that how do you, if you say nine years old is the age that you could leave your kid home alone, how do you account for developmental age? Yeah. Not all. I'm reading a quote from one of the people who testified in front of the South Carolina uh, Legislative Committee was not all 12 year olds are created equal, which is 100 percent correct. I mean, just in my experience with my two kids, I could leave my son. I would feel more comfortable leaving my 12 year old son home alone than I would my 12 year old daughter. And see, I think that legislation like this is more to protect parents who feel like they have a 12 year old who could be left alone more than it is going to be used to get. People who don't have 12-year-olds who could be left alone off yeah. the hook, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, it, the, the onus should be on the parents to obviously decide what your kid can handle. I just think that I don't – and there's even a kid who likes to go to the park and play by himself that they also quoted. And he said that he's worried because he doesn't want his parents to get arrested or fined because <laughs> he likes to go outside and play. And that's the thing. It's uh, There's not one fit for every family, right. like you guys are saying. Do you find that these days people are less likely to leave their, their 12-year-old at home uh, than they were when we were all growing up? Because I would it say was that, not a concern. I would I say they're more likely to leave them home alone. Like, they're more willing to, now? to do that. Yes. Because there's things to keep your kid busy. When When I was 12 years old, nothing in my house excited me. Nothing. There was <laughs> There was nothing in my house to keep me there. Outside of my house, all my buddies were out riding bikes or were playing football or were playing baseball or were riding to the store or throwing rocks in the river. Like, yeah. there's always something to do outside the house. Today, a 12-year-old could sit in front of the TV nearly comatose for seven hours and, and be fine and be entertained and, you know, and be subdued, whatever word you want to use, and never be out in the world, the, you know, the big, dangerous, nasty world. Which is another argument for free-range parenting and the bill that they, the pushback they get is that this would encourage kids to be able to go outside and play. Because a part of this free-range parenting movement isn't just being left alone in the home or in the car. I mean, there have been people who have been arrested and lost their jobs because their kids were at a na- nearby p- playground. One in Chicago where the mom could literally see the playground from her window in her apartment. Another one was uh, a mom who had a shift at McDonald's and I think this one is in Georgia, I want to say. And uh, the, a nine-year-old daughter was playing at a p- playground. She normally hung out in the McDonald's, but she said, I want to get outside and go play. And the mom was like, great. 
So she went outside and she was arrested and lost her job. And with that, her child was taken away from her for 17 days. That's insane. Isn't it crazy? Like just to, just just that. And there, that's not even a new article came out that found that the highest rate of uh, childhood obesity is coming up in the Pacific Islands. And so people started looking at the diet and further research found that it had to do with level of activity. Actually, so the big reason that and I'm sure diet obviously plays a ton of a role in it. But the biggest reason why America starts to lean on the heavier side versus nations like Europe, which encourage kids to go outside and play uh, is because of, you know, sedentary activity. No, I can't believe that woman was locked up for 17 days and Marianne Broberg is still free. Right. There's and that's what it does. I mean, there's just so (laughs) many dumbass laws. Yes. That that they like all. I'm sure with the best of intentions, but it just takes a couple examples of being poorly executed, and it's and it's wrong. I, I listen and go back to your thing. I think differently than Gary because I think that parents who leave their kids home alone, uh, in particular, especially around that nine to twelve age bracket that most states seem to kind of agree on, uh, I think we're like a secret group called the Skulls. Uh, like you know what I mean? Where you you don't say you know maybe like Fight Club, like you don't talk right. about it. And maybe I am the only parent in my house, and that's why I can leave my kid like the guy in Fight Club. It's, I'm really just talking to myself. But uh, Wait, I, what? Yeah, right? <laughs> I leave my kid home alone to go to the grocery store. I leave both of them home alone. My wife is – this is a compromise that I have with her. The 7-year-old cannot be left home alone if the nine or the 10-year-old is at a play date, uh, which I, I don't – it doesn't really bother me. I'm allowed to walk around the block or go to, like uh, – we have a rental property up the street. Like, I can go over there as long as I'm within a block radius. That's okay with my wife. But I just – I don't know. My parents, when I was probably my older son's age, my parents would leave for the weekend, and I thought it was awesome. Like, it was just great. I got to go to bed when I wanted to. I could watch you could as much HBO. You eat all the cheddar cheese you wanted to. Oh, man. All right, Justin, thank Out you. Out of a can. Justin Warsham, host of The Dad Podcast. Check it out, thedadpodcast.com. Thanks, man. Thank you. Brian Suits, and we come back, we'll talk about uh, North Korea and this summit that turned into a big nothing burger. Now I want cheddar cheese. <laughs> You always want cheddar cheese. Yeah, that's true. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon. That's us. Uh, Thursday, it's February 28th. Luke Perry, allegedly still in the hospital after suffering what TMZ calls a massive stroke. Former 90210 actor. Uh, Cohen day three today. Michael Cohen back on Capitol Hill. This time he's testifying behind closed doors. The House Intelligence Committee. It's their chance to to pick at him today. Talked yesterday about how he considered the president a liar, a racist, and a con man. Robert Kraft pleading not guilty to charges of soliciting prostitution at that Florida day spa. The attorney filed the plea before the March 27th hearing, which means Kraft will avoid having to appear in person at the arraignment. Well, uh, the president stopped at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson today. Air Force One needed to pick up some new fuel or more fuel as it makes his way back to Washington, D.C. from his summit in Hanoi, Vietnam, with the leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. Joining us to talk more about this, the host of Dark Secret Place on Saturday nights and also Super Hyper Local Sundays right here on KFI. And purveyor of booze. And the Brian Suits. Yes, you have become quite the homemade cider maker. Apparently, if I give it away, I don't have to tell the state. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Is that your 20? 
I don't know. I'll just pick that up. What is this like a Robert Kraft thing? Yeah. You're just gonna you're gonna tip Brian now just for being a nice guy? It's consensual oh, alcohol oh, sharing. Okay, that's great. All right, so the president leaves and says one of the things that you got to do sometimes is you just got to walk away. Mm. Uh, is that a thing? Here's. Uh, because this was never a negotiation to begin with, what, what effectively happened in Hanoi yesterday was he came to a used car lot with a $100 bill, and he said, I want a 2018 Jaguar. And the guy said, we're not even talking about it. That's not a possibility. That's not even happening. And he, well, you know what he did? He walked away. That's exactly what that was. That, that was never a negotiation, and this is almost face-saving at this point because – he was told by McMaster there won't be denuclearization. What do you mean by denuclearization? And two years ago, Trump said he will get rid of his nuclear weapons. And McMaster said, no, once he has them, that's his life insurance policy. And McMaster's gone. And then bad cop Mattis, who was – that was his entire job. Well, you know, Trump was Singapore Donald. How much – Singapore Donnie. Mattis was bad cop Mattis. How much of this do you think was – to create a distraction to Michael Cohen on Capitol Hill. Like, uh, do you think that the president went on this trip because he thought he was going to get something in return? Or do you think he wanted to shine a light on the other side of the world? I, I think it's the other way around because, because, like, as I revealed on The Dark Secret Place two months ago, that Hanoi would be the site of this summit. They had this planned slightly before the Democrat-controlled House Intelligence Committee had Cohen up there. Uh, so, so it's the other way around. I think the Democrats put Cohen up there yesterday because they were afraid – that Trump would have a win in Hanoi. There's, there's no way to win when you show up at the baseball diamond with lacrosse gear, saying we're here for lacrosse, and the other guy says, no, we're playing baseball. Because the, the fundament of this, and I, I should begin with this, if people are not aware of this, North Korea is not. There is literally nothing you can offer them. Uh, you, you can offer them a, a hybrid uh, unicorn sea lion <clears throat> so that it can you can ride it in the ocean. Sounds nice. Pegasus. Isn't uh, that a narwhal? Y- y- there is nothing you can offer them to get them to, quote, denuclearize. There's nothing. And so if you don't understand what you're negotiating about, you know, then you're the mark. And so that's what happened. So this is where he gets – this is the political dimension. He, when he is in Ohio next month and then Iowa and Wisconsin, he can say um, – you, you see what I'm dealing with. Uh, this is not a, you know, Obama never did this. Obama never got this close. I'm closer to denuclearization. And, and I really just don't think that the average voter in Ohio or Iowa honestly gives a, a, a rat's rectum about whether or not North Korea is, is nuclear or not. Because at the end of the day, it's not an existential threat to the United States. If they did anything with it, they would be done as a country. And, and that's that. But the, the, I think the president's political mistake, and if, if I was advising him, I would say, tell the audience that they won't use their nukes under your watch. Because that's de facto denuclearization. Right. Because there's loads of loathsome regimes with nukes. You know, well, we dealt with one for 47 years. And, and, and I'm, you know, I, I shed a tear for the prison camps of North Korea. But uh, like I said, like I was on Twitter saying last night on, on Kennedy, look, I, I bought a TV made in China last week, and they're harvesting kidneys from political prisoners in China. And I don't know. My TV might have been made by old One Kidney McGee. I don't know. I also don't care because I'm done spreading democracy. I'm over with that. So that's where if he managed expectations and said they, won't, they can make them all day long, 
they won't use them. Or if they do, it'll be once. That's it. Yeah, and like you said, there's the the lack of existential threat to the United States. They would threaten our allies much more than they would ever threaten the yeah. continental United States. Yeah. I mean, we would have a huge problem if they dropped one on Seoul or Tokyo or something like that. But we're not necessarily concerned about Seattle or Portland or San Francisco. Yeah, because this you know this was face saving. This was makeup. It was not. It was political theater. It was not a real negotiation. This walking away from this yesterday and then calling it a strength. It's like you and I negotiating. Uh, for the sale of your son, because he looks like he can lift some weight, you know, and you work, work on a farm. <laughs> and, you know, and I'll give you 10 bucks for him. And, when, and, and if I offered you 10 bucks for your son, what would you say? I'm thinking. Okay. No, you know what? <laughs> I'm walking away. That is, you know, that's, then that may be a really bizarre metaphor that I just came up with. No, I but apologize. It, but it makes sense in that, like, it was it was set up. Knowing that there was going to be nothing at the end right. of it anyway, and then you heard you heard when the president said, "Well, we got some close in some area, some nuclear areas, some nuclear area." No, there's only one area: the effing H bombs on your effing missiles that can hit Bill Handel's house. That's the only area. You destroying a reactor that you don't use anymore—that's that's window dressing. You destroying it's more symbolic. It's all literally symbolic. They're destroying. It's like us saying, "Oh, we're going to destroy the where, where the Manhattan Project was." We're going to destroy all the World War II era propeller planes. You don't. He doesn't need any of that anymore. They do a lot of their testing uh, computer simulation like we do, um, and so when they destroy symbolically, you know, a mountain where they test the nukes, it's over. It's done. It's like destroying the first wheel. Can you hang on with us? Yeah. I don't know. Okay, because I think you're onto something with the president taking a victory lap on uh, on on tensions being as as good for us as as in our lifetime, really. Ever since he opened up the line of communication. Remember, he did say in the State of the Union, if he wasn't president, we would be at war with North Korea right now. Gary and Shannon. More on this when we come back. Gary and Shannon. We uh, get into what's trending coming up at the top of the hour. Hey, did you see the flooding? Oh, my gosh. Up in Northern California, right. Russian it, River, Guerneville and all that. Now, I remember Guerneville underwater more time than it's not underwater for the most part. But this is the, the, the highest flood level for the Russian River in 25 years. But yeah. you know what? If you think hard about it, it's Calistoga. You're getting free Calistoga all over the place. That's true. It's usually browner than it than, should be. but um, food quality. Yeah. but It's th- funny. Every, uh, every summer... We try to get together, the whole family, with my nephews and parents and aunts and uncles and the whole bit. And we pick a place in California to go. And this year we we're going to go to the Russian River because my mom and her family used to go up there every summer with their aunt. And for some reason, we decided against it. And <laughs> Skeeters, cho- and that's why. chose another place uh, closer, actually, to uh, where you and I grew up. It is beautiful. My mom sent me a text this morning. Good thing we didn't choose the Russian River. Oh, come on. It's going to be gone by then. I mean, not the river, but the floodwaters will. Um, Brian Suits has joined us, host of Dark Secret Place. We're talking about the the collapsed talks, it looks like, with Kim Jong-un over uh, North Korean sanctions. And uh, whatever happened in Hanoi, Vietnam, is, uh, I guess, under dispute because North Korea's foreign minister says that our president was wrong. He said that North Korea did ask for only some of the sanctions to be lifted, that those that affect the ordinary North Koreans in exchange for permanently completely dismantling the facility that was in question that they had been talking about. Uh, my question is, how much, if anything, 
did China have to do with all of this? Because it wasn't mentioned very much, but we know that China is the lifeline that's keeping North Korea alive. Not not a heck of a lot because the Chinese know something that apparently this White House team doesn't know, that they're not going to denuclearize. And, and China, frankly, doesn't have, – they have less of a problem with a nuclear North Korea than they do a unified Korea. They're, one of their number one foreign policy goals – and, I mean, they literally have several number one foreign policy goals – China never wants to see a unified Korea. They also don't want to see a collapsed North Korea. Those are their two left and right limits there. And they, they're, they're going to live with a nuclear North Korea. Um, so if, if Trump had drawn a line and said denuclearize by St. Patrick's Day or we're going to blow the living S out of you, <clears throat> the Chinese would have said, well, we're going to get between you on this one. You're, you're not going to do that. Um, China wants us to be realistic and just uh, recognize North Korea and say, you know what? Welcome to the nuclear club. You're going to want to read the rules. They're right here. And it's one page. No first use. Sign there, and we will treat you like a country with nuclear weapons. Isn't that what we're doing? No. We're saying denuclearize. Get rid of your nuclear weapons. Yeah, and we're not uh, saying that to Pakistan. Outwardly. I mean, do you think that this administration really went there thinking that they were going to get a deal? The guy at the top does. And this is where, when McMaster said, we need to manage expectations and we need to tell them the rules because we have no choice, they got the nukes. You, you can bitch about Iran and Obama's idiotic deal, but there's a big difference, big difference between them and North Korea. They don't have nukes. These guys crossed... The finish line. That's it. Uh, we now have to manage how we work with them. And we, like I said, we, you know, we dealt with a police state for 47 years that but had 5,000 nuclear isn't, weapons. isn't the president flying uh, all the way to Vietnam to, to give Kim Jong-un an audience, essentially a diplomatic move to keep things nice? And- it, it, it's political. It's to make it look like there's, there's progress being made. Uh, and this is part of the danger at this point is that if he meets with them one more time, He's now in debt to Kim Jong-un to give him a political win, and, and he will never denuclearize. And so if the president said um, that, that denuclearize now means that they won't use them first, they're effectively nothing more than a guard dog because we're not, we're not going to invade them, we're not going to regime change, and they're not going to need the nukes. If he said that, it would all be academic. It would be over. And no Democrat would say, well, you said you were going to denuclearize them. And he would say, well, I did. I, I took the teeth out. Um, and they're not going to invade us, and we're not going to invade them. He, he would have a political win. But to sit there and keep hanging your hat uh, that this country that just starved itself for 20 years and got nuclear weapons plus a delivery system that can actually hit the U.S. Um, and that they're going to give that up based on, on a guy who hasn't had a loan from an American bank since, 19, since 2000. And they're not going to do that. Two years ago when we talked, we were in the midst of all of the ballistic missile tests that they were doing. They're firing things off of uh, over the the uh, Japanese islands. They're making a big deal out of all of this. Is is there anything positive about our relationship currently with North Korea? Or I should say, did anything positive come out of Singapore and Hanoi? Well, I guess, you know, I thought there'd be more of an agenda here at the second one. Um, but here's how this ends uh, in a year and a half or two years. We do have to recognize that they have nuclear weapons and that if we have them, they can have them. They will acknowledge that they never intend to use them first. That is for self-defense. And then whatever, if LG or Samsung wants to build a factory in North Korea, they can do that. But you can't you can't tie denuclearizing with with democratizing. Those are two big asks from North Korea. You may as well ask this guy to get a better haircut or give up smoking or whatever. 
You're not going to get, okay, we'll give up our nukes, and you know what? We'll hold municipal elections next week. I don't know. Smoking can be very addictive. Did you hear how that made his voice more gravelly? He's always been self-conscious about his voice. Yes. For, since he was in high school in Switzerland, yeah. he rarely talked. Now he's smoking just to get that Dennis Rodman. And literally, Rodman told him to smoke. He said, look, I can't help you downstairs below the belt, but smoke. I inter- that really is why he's doing it. <laughs> I interviewed Dennis Rodman on the sideline this year because he showed up at a Chargers game because his press person is a huge Chargers fan. And it was the worst interview I have done in 20 years of radio. And, of course, you were very shocked. I was going to say, it was so how come I've terrible. never heard this? Oh, I never told you that? No. I, he was you were trying to hide it from as us. a kite. Oh, okay. no. And the, I was just terrible. Wait, are we talking about the same the, Dennis Rodman? Yeah. I should have cut and run right away, and I Dog didn't. Translate. No, it was it's terrible. It, for Kim Jong-un, um, the idea that I mean, you're, you'd be telling him to give up his way of life. He's a god. He's the third, uh, you know, of Kim yeah. who's convinced the North Korean people that he's a god, and he hits four holes in one, the whole thing. So telling him. You're, hey, I want you to give it your life insurance policy and your entire way of life. That's that's a hard no at the at the outset. Uh, and like I say, I don't know how much Ohio and Iowa cares. That's for us right. here in America. That's what it boils down to. Well, people in Ohio say, "Hey, y'all said you're going to denuclearize that chap," and um, and and he ain't. No, no one really cares. I mean, if they knew how precarious our anti missile system was, they they would poo. They'd build a bunker. And Poots, horrible. 50%. Yeah, but, but then again, they're not threatened. It's Portland. And how, how yeah. many people in Dubuque give a damn about anybody in Portland? But, but that is the the agreement that we finally settle on in a year and a half or two years is, uh, okay, you got them. You went broke doing it. Your people starved. But now they're uh, no first use because you're done. And, that's, and then we're fine. Ten years down the road, South Korea's nuclear and Japan's nuclear. But that's just the way it works. That's these are the new. Bryce rules. Harper's finalizing the an Phillies. agreement with the Phillies. Mm, Three thirty million. And yeah, Boom. more more than much. It's got to be more. Is that what you called him? Much hotto. Machado. Oh. <laughs> I take. But li- you called him. Yesterday. I take liberties with pronunciations on this program. Yeah, you know what? It's gonna be like Kenny Easley. It's gonna be. I want a dollar more than Machado. Uh, a maybe. million more and a free hat and a, and one free hat. All right, Brian. Thank you. All righty, we're going to Ikea. Follow Brian on Twitter, at Dark Secret Place. You can hear him Saturday, uh, 8 o'clock, and then Sunday, 8 o'clock. Is, no, Saturday? Yeah, Saturday, eight Sunday at 8. And Sunday at 8 o'clock. Excellent. All right, we'll do trending when we come back to the Gary and Shannon Show. So Tech Talk is coming up in the next hour. How dirty is that smartphone? And uh, the Momo Challenge. It's gotten a lot of press about uh, telling your your kids to harm themselves. Apparently it's all uh, a hoax, which is good. We're also going to talk in a few minutes about uh, what Lady Gaga finally said about her performance with Bradley Cooper on Sunday night at the Oscars. $330 million for Bryce Harper. 330 huh? $30 million more than Manny Machado, which makes sense. But I don't think oh, Manny Machado's worth $300 million. No, but you knew it had to be more. No, it Bryce had to be Harper more than had to be more. It had to be more than Arenado's 32 five a year is what it had to be more than. 
You think that was the deciding yeah. factor? What else is going on? Yeah. Time for What's Happening. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, I was just making no noises. I was just going to make a disgruntled noise, like baseball. Sounds like a good job. Right. (laughs) You should have done that. A couple of uh, president's closest allies on the House Judiciary Committee referred the former lawyer, the former fixer, Michael Cohen, to the Justice Department for possible criminal prosecution. Now, Cohen is before the House Intelligence Committee today testifying behind closed doors, so we're not going to see it. But yesterday, yesterday was the big deal when before the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, Michael Cohen laid out a bunch of things that he said, not new, but he said them in public. One of the things was that uh, he thinks that the president is racist, that he's a cheat, that he's a con man. Uh, One of the uh, issues that Republicans on the panel brought up yesterday was that Michael Cohen was passed over for a job in the administration. And they were suggesting that this was one of the reasons why Michael Cohen was willing to flip on his former employer. Now, when asked about it in front of the panel yesterday, he uh, repeatedly denied that he was upset about it, that he was even looking for a job in the administration. And according to Jim Jordan, the ranking member on the committee, and Republican Mark Meadows from North Carolina... They said there were several instances in testimony yesterday where he perjured himself, where he lied about wanting that job. So they referred Michael Cohen to the Justice Department to look into those perjury charges. Well, floodwaters have turned two communities in Northern California into islands. We're talking about Guerneville, 2,000 buildings in Guerneville inundated by floodwaters. It has become an island no injuries have been reported, but it has caused a lot of problems for, for businesses and homes. Two sewage treatment plants are not working. That's not good. It, They're not, it, this is not unusual for Guerneville and Monterio and Vacation Beach and those areas. It's not unusual for those. But, but they but, haven't reached levels like that for 25 years. Yeah. So, I mean, they know how to deal with this. They're saying that the, the, the Russian River crested, I think, at 46 feet last night and will not be back below flood stage until sometime this evening. One of the guys that uh, runs a hotel up there says that it's the price you pay to live in paradise. He says Buffalo, New York puts up with blizzards. Miami and Houston put up with hurricanes. And we have floods. It is beautiful up there. I will say that. Yeah. Uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is going to be indicted on bribery, fraud, and breach of trust uh, pending a hearing. They made this announcement today. The attorney general in Israel said the charges, one count of bribery, uh, bribery, two counts of fraud, and breach of trust relate to three different cases. The most significant one um, involves a relationship with a guy named Shaul Elovich, the controlling shareholder of a big telecom company called Bezek. And what they're saying is Netanyahu would promote these regulatory changes, which would end up meaning millions of dollars for the tech company. In exchange, Netanyahu would get positive coverage on a news website that was run by that telecom company. Luke Perry is under observation at a hospital after what the TMZ has reported as a massive stroke yesterday morning. He's 52, of course, the former actor from Beverly Hills 90210. They say paramedics got a call about 940 yesterday morning to rush to his home there in Sherman Oaks. 
He was transported to a nearby hospital. Uh, his representative has not elaborated on his condition, only saying that he is under observation. Currently working on Riverdale, playing Archie's father, Fred Andrews. And it was yesterday that we learned that Beverly Hills 90210 was going to have a reboot with a lot of the original cast members from the early 90s this summer. He was not on the list because he is busy with Riverdale, but the, the door was left open. Just bizarre that this happened on the same day that 90210 is in the news for the first time in how many years? Uh, just to give you an idea, Luke, I know he's 52, but we don't think of Luke Perry as 52. No. We, we think of him as Dylan McKay it's and that age. 26. He's got a 21-year-old yeah. son and an 18-year-old daughter. So, Jason Witten in the news. Jason Witten, who was in the Monday Night Football booth as a broadcaster last season after he retired, is coming out of retirement to Return to the Cowboys. He's getting $5 million to return. He is 36 years old, if you're counting. He's fourth in NFL history behind Jerry Rice when it comes to career receptions. I, had, I, had, I did not know that. I did not know that he was um, behind Jerry Rice, Tony Gonzalez, and Larry Fitzgerald, is, and then Jason Witten. That's a crazy statistic. Yeah, I had no clue. And, and he has the most uh, games played as a Dallas Cowboy. Franchise wow. record, 239 career games with the Cowboys. Incredible. So who's going to take over in the broadcast booth? Oh, boy. They've had a mess. I know. They've had a mess on Monday nights for some time now. Uh, all right. We come back. The update on uh, Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper, the yes, girlfriend. She says what we all saw is what we were supposed to see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. I'd be pissed. <laughs> the Bryce Harper deal does not include any opt-outs. So for 10 years? Yeah. Well, they can... 13 years. 13 years. That seems too long. Yes, it does. He's going to be 52 years old by the time that thing's over. They could trade him. The thing is, no team is going to enjoy 13 years of success. So they'll get rid of him. The, I, wow. That's but incredible. doesn't that work both ways for the team? I mean, isn't the team on the hook for $330 million now? Because if it had an opt-out, he could leave, and then that, that remaining salary would be up to whoever picks it up, right? Talk to the Texas Rangers, the deal that they struck with Alex Rodriguez back in the day. Right. And they ended up they paying... Left that, he left that biggest deal in sports history for the next biggest deal in sports history, right? But I think they were still on the hook for a bunch of that. When he was when he went to join the Yankees, he was still getting checks from the Rangers. Oh, my gosh. I mean, oh, that's, I that, see. That's okay. The, that's the craziest part about all of that is that's that insane i saw an inflation thing on that too and that deal in today's dollars would be a 10-year 368 million dollar deal <gasps> yeah, wow I can see that yeah um, totally see that we've got an update on luke perry apparently he is in a medically induced coma they do this following a stroke when they want to protect the brain cells reduce the work of brain cells and protect them from the increased pressure inside the skull Ugh. I don't suppose that that's unusual, but that is a Apparently particularly frightening feet. term, the medically induced coma. TMZ says when paramedics arrived at his home, he was responsive and talking, but that his condition deteriorated and he was rushed to the hospital. 
Well, we saw this big performance on uh, on Sunday night. And it was Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, coming out on stage and doing the song that has, I don't know, taken over the world in the last six months, perhaps. I felt like I was watching an intimate moment between a couple that I wasn't supposed to be looking at. Well, and that... It was exactly the way it was supposed to well, be. Well, it, it's not their performance together. It was the the nuzzling of the heads. <laughs> like, if they didn't do the head nozzle. Michael, nuzzle. you missed that. You missed that. She just did the head nuzzle. Like, she, she leaning over. Like, like, why do they have to do that? Like a dog that's getting its ears scratched. Exactly oh, right. Oh, yeah. Right there. Right in front of the baby mama. Well, it didn't look sexy to me. It just looked like... Oh, you know, they were playing their little roles. Now Michael's on to something. The truth? <laughs> yes, there's that. There is the truth. So Gaga was on, that's what we call her, uh, Gaga was on Kimmel last night, and he asked about this. It was such an emote. You had such a connection with Bradley that instantly, and I guess this is a compliment, people started saying, like, oh, you, they, must be, they must be in yeah. love. <laughs> okay. First of all, like, like... <laughs> Social media, quite frankly, is the toilet of the internet. Yes, it is. It's just like, I, like and, and what it has done to pop culture is just like abysmal. And 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 yes, people saw love, and guess what? That's what we wanted you to see. Yes. You know, I mean, this is this is a love song, shallow. Uh, this the movie A Star Is Born. It's a love story. We worked so hard. We worked all week on that performance. Okay. To that end. It makes perfect sense, right? When you think of the songs that are performed over the last several years at the Oscars, it's hard to put them in the context of the movie that they represent, right? I think the only one that I can think of that that was powerful or powerfully performed like this was the uh, the song from Selma, John Legend and Common. Was yeah. Common? Got- I, I'm not sure, but I know the performance you're referring to. Th- that Those... Those are few and far between. So when they come out there, and by the way, nail it. I think it was because it knock was, it out of the park. It was such an intimate camera angle, too. Yes, that was the. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about because had he finished the song, sitting by the piano where he started the song, yeah, it would have been fine. Totally. Now wait a minute. He had his fingers all over this thing. I mean, the, the he the, directed the entire performance, the entire thing, he laid it all out. I mean, everything that you saw, the way that it was shot, the way that they pushed the piano out. You saw them, you know, uh, uh, put the piano together piano. and, and uh, uh, no us intro. walk up on stage. No intro. All of that. That was all him. And he even also uh, was the one that was like, I think that the audience should be lit, you know, so that we're not just let the audience is lit. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I think that she was having a hard time finding her words because all she remembers from the performance are Bradley Cooper's eyes. Stop it. That is not. I will not stop it. Uh, he but- knocked it out of the park. And she, she, you know, she was really happy that he that everyone was able to see him do it live. What I thought was funny is later in that interview that she did with Jimmy Kimmel, she said, listen, from a performance perspective, it was important that we were connected the entire time because, again, it is a love song. She says, I've had my arms wrapped around Tony Bennett for three years That's now different. touring the world. That's different. That's different. Um, there's, no one, there's no one who looks at her and goes, 
wait a minute. You know what I think was... Gaga and Tony Bennett? No. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's you know, the way I feel about Gaga and, and, and Bradley, Bradley Cooper. Cooper. It's like, wait, who'd you rather? Uh, <laughs> Gaga or the one he is dating? Yeah, wow. that's what Blake says. Um, but uh, I found interesting that this was probably the first time that Bradley Cooper performed a song to applause. Like, that's a huge crowd that you've got to perform live in front of. Sure, you're an actor, but you're used to being on sets and stuff. Yeah. How vulnerable is it to sing on stage at the Oscars for your first? You're not even a singer, really. Yeah. You know? Well, and he did that one in, was it Vegas, I think, that he jumped up on stage with her at one point oh, a couple he? of months ago or last month. Um, she referred to him in that interview last night. She referred to Bradley Cooper as a musician, which I think coming from Lady Gaga is a great compliment. But I'd agree with you that that would be a terrifying thing to have to get up and sing. Oh, my gosh. Sing. You sing on this program all the time. Yeah, but I sing in front of you and Blake and Nick. Not the Academy. Yeah. The, with celebrities. The bar is relatively low. Well, you're not just talking to he, me and Blake and too. Nick. He's good at it. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. What do you mean I'm not just talking to you and Blake and Nick? These microphones, <laughs> they transmit. All right. Uh, if, you, uh, if you like television, I don't know if you have seen the, uh, the new Paradise Hotel, the reboot of Paradise Hotel. You, this is a pretty fascinating trailer. You got to check it out. Go to Fox.com. Fascinating is... It's a word. Okay, so did you see the Masked Singer finale? Two no. words, by the way. T-Pain. You never knew T-Pain could sing, did you? I didn't. Okay. Go watch that. T-Pain. You know what? I just realized something. I am excited to see the Paradise Hotel. I watched the first iteration of it, and it is a train wreck in the best possible way. Um, Now, I did have a thought. Remember for Lauren's birthday, you were supposed to sing? Yes. And you never did? Right. Because we had a terrorist attack or something? Yes. There was a mass shooting, but go on. You still owe her that song. Probably. Uh, Let's see. Paradise Hotel is brought to you by the producers of Jersey Shore, The Bachelor. And I love the tagline on this. There's only one rule for staying at Paradise Hotel. Hook up or check out. Nothing like a little forced prostitution. (laughs) Aaron Katursky, when we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, Michael Cohen's testimony. What happened uh, yesterday and how it pertains to what's going on today behind closed doors. Gary Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, it is uh, Thursday, it's February 28th, top of next hour. We're going to talk more about what's uh, coming out of Hanoi, Vietnam. The president, on his way back to Washington, D.C., made a pit stop in Alaska today to refuel Air Force One. I think it would be great. I don't, I don't think it would happen. But if we had a president who, any president, who offered to help refuel the plane, just jump out and say, guys, if you need a hand, I'm here. Like, what do you want me to You want me to hold the thing? The nozzle? Whatever it is. I'll, anyways, on his way back to D.C., we'll talk more about this summit that took place between the president and 
the leader of North Korea because there are two different versions about whether yeah. or not it was productive. He did not respond to North Korea's assertion that he had mischaracterized the the summit and the reason why it collapsed. But he did say that the U.S. was investing in missile defense technology, issuing a, a warning to the enemies. Well, he's on his way back to D.C. That's where we uh, base our swamp watch. Blake's answering the phone, oh, so I'll do case. a swamp watch. There it is. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Michael Cohen back in closed door meetings today. During his testimony yesterday, he referenced another wrongdoing or illegal act that the president has committed. Interesting. Aaron Katursky is joining us from New York, and federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York are apparently the ones who are heading up this investigation. Aaron, what do we know? Aaron, hang on one second. Hold on one second. Somebody messed with my phone here. I'm going to try to push that. There you go. Go ahead. These here buttons. Yes, Uh, I know. uh, The Southern District of New York uh, has been examining, we know, the campaign finance violation to which Michael Cohen pleaded guilty and uh, which he, um, you know, implicated the the president once again and and his son potentially through these checks that he presented to the committee. We know the Southern District has also been uh, investigating the, the Trump inauguration and whether any foreign money found its way into the inaugural committee and and, uh, and, and was meant as undue influence. Uh, those are the only investigations that we know of. Now, Michael Cohen says there are uh, other potential crimes involving the president that federal prosecutors are looking at. Uh, we're not sure that Michael Cohen is in position to necessarily know. Certainly, he's trying to cast himself as super helpful so that he potentially can get a reduced prison term. But, you know, whether he truly knows or whether it's wishful thinking, uh, he certainly, I think, hopes that he's viewed as helpful. The problem I I, I think I came away with from yesterday was uh, in terms of um, Michael Cohen's testimony in front of the Oversight Committee was I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of new stuff that he was saying. He did provide some evidence, he said, in the forms of financial documents, copies of checks and that sort of thing. But was there anything that was groundbreaking in terms of the information? What does that say about the, the state of affairs in our country today when you have someone who who was in the innermost circle of the president of the United States for 10 years? I mean, assails his character, calls him a con man, his questions his business practices, how he treats women, how he treats black people. And we are like, oh, yeah, we kind of knew that and voted for him anyway. We're numb, uh, we're numb yeah. to it now. And and I mean, and truly, and, and I think that's also um, in part by design, because, uh, you know, the, the 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 Republicans didn't even bother to refute anything that Cohen said. They just tried to assail his character uh, and his credibility. But um, in terms of new revelations, I, I don't think there were that many. If the Southern District is truly investigating other potential crimes, I think that's significant. The revelations about the, the, the routine business practices, as Cohen saw them, and the, the inflating or deflating wealth to, to suit 
a particular business purpose um, certainly was, I think, eye-opening, uh, if not entirely new, if you've been reading the New York Post about Donald Trump for the last 25 years. Um, is, so, it, is that is that groundwork, though, that I saw some argue today, AOC's line of questioning, to be yeah. exact, is that a groundwork for a potential subpoena of his I think, tax? I think that was probably the, the most lasting impact of the hearing, to, to, to tell you the truth. Michael Cohen was asked and delivered on a bunch of names, and it was as if he was writing the next witness list. So even if Cohen's allegations weren't necessarily damning, um, he did give a number of names that the committee could call. He also may have given them an excuse to go poking around President Trump's tax returns, um, which, you know, they can't just peek at willy-nilly. They do need a reason. And so in terms of actionable items, those may be the, the two. Yeah, I, I guess maybe that would be the takeaway from what we've seen what we saw yesterday and what we believe he's saying behind closed doors. But is the that... other the other, I think, takeaway is what Michael Cohen did not say. And that is uh, he told Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz he could not answer her question in terms of collusion. He said he certainly had his suspicions about why the president was seemingly cozy with Vladimir Putin. But he cast this in a way that I, I think many Americans have come to understand. It wasn't as if the Trump campaign was cozy with the, you know, maybe Manafort, but you know, was cozy with the Russians to win the election. If you listen to what Cohen said, they cozied up to the Russians because they thought they were going to lose, yeah. and they wanted the business relationship. Yeah, and that's where I was going with that, was that the, the Russian collusion angle of what, you know, if there is a threat to Donald Trump's presidency, it's not the special counsel. It would be the prosecutors in the Southern District of New York. And, and, and so far, the, the, the prevailing view in the Department of Justice, and including in the Southern District, is that a sitting president cannot be charged with a crime. Um, would they really hold off on an indictment on a campaign finance violation until Donald Trump is out of office? In theory, maybe. Um, but I'm not sure that that's uh, necessarily of interest to, to these prosecutors at the moment. Yeah. All right, Aaron, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Aaron Katursky there with the latest on the Michael Cohen stuff in New York. All right, coming up next, Gavin Newsom talks Trump and the future, and Joe Biden is getting advice on how to get the young voters on board. He's going to uh, social media executives for advice. Uh, Gary Please don't start posting <laughs> selfies slash pictures in states of undress. This is exactly why we... That's what the kids do. We're reluctant to give my mother a Facebook account. I mean, not the... <laughs> I didn't know your mother had a Facebook account. I'm going to friend her right now. Great. So, Nick, I've got to tell you a story because we're going to be talking about this Momo challenge. That's actually just a hoax. Uh And you yesterday said that you had a note on your whiteboard from your roommate or something about Momo. It said Momo loves you. Right. And freaked you out. Because I knew nothing of this. And then this article popped up about this Momo thing. And I was like, what is this note on my whiteboard? Turns out it's just the nickname of my roommate that her little sister. <laughs> yeah. So yesterday, after you told me that story, I took my grocery list that I was compiling, uh-huh. and on the flip side of the paper, I wrote "Momo loves you" because I was going to hold it up against the glass. 
just to scare you. Instead, I didn't do that. I forgot about it. And I go to the market and I'm walking around the market with my grocery list, flashing everybody else the side that says Momo loves you. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Yeah. So that happened. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Stop it. We're in the middle of Swamp Watch talking about what's going on in Washington, D.C. Uh, we have been following a couple of stories. Obviously, the uh, the Korea story, the president comes back or he's on his way back from the summit in North Korea. And at one one fifty, actually, Karen Travers, we've talked to her the last couple of days, still in Hanoi. We'll talk to her again about what this means that the president leaves before being able to come up with any sort of a solution. In fact, the president left early and uh, said the comment, you know, sometimes you just sometimes you just got to walk. Sometimes you have to walk. So that uh, that will come up at 150. One of the other issues that's going on specifically in D.C. is the House earlier this week voted on a plan to. Or a resolution, I should say, to block the president's emergency declaration to build the border wall. And there was some question about whether or not it would be able to pass in the Senate. And even if it did, it would be vetoed by the president. Would they have enough votes to overturn the veto? It seemed unlikely. Well, in the Senate, they have introduced their own resolution. Tom Udall, the Democrat from New Mexico, and Susan Collins of Maine uh, also have, or they, they put, came together for this resolution. And they, in back-to-back speeches, explained why they came up with this plan again. Just a resolution to block the president's emergency declaration. The president's emergency declaration is ill-advised precisely because it attempts to shortcut the process of checks and balances by usurping Congress's authority. She said, she went on to say, listen, we as Republicans had better be careful what we wish for here, because if we want the president to have this kind of power, when there's a Democrat in the White House, we're going to be pissed off. She seemed relatively, what's the word, even-minded about, even-handed, even-minded, well thought out, I should say. Gavin Newsom was in New York uh, at the uh, annual conference of governors. He made headlines for would seem to be a, a willingness, a new willingness to work with the Trump administration. On Sunday, he met with the acting director of FEMA, and then he went to a black tie dinner at the White House hosted by the president. He said it's important for us to establish relationships not only with governors, but with other legislative leaders in D.C. And to the extent that we can with key cabinet agency directors and leaders in the administration, dare I say the president himself. Dare I say. This is the biggest line of crap. He's if, if all about the, the next step. He doesn't give a crap about California and its relationship with this administration. If, he just he needs to uh, – what's the way to say this? Momo loves you? <laughs> no. Oh. Uh, um, I'm trying to clean it up a little bit. But he is going uh, to have FaceTime with whoever he thinks can help him get ahead yeah. politically on a national scale. Right. And if this was truly the case, if he really believed it was important for us to establish relationships with other people, dare I say the president himself, then he's going to let some of the slights that Donald Trump will shoot at him. He's going to let them slide and he's going to say, you know what? I'll be the He's going to be here. Lulu at the parlor in Jupiter, Florida. Right. The thing is, he he 
does not realize who he is, Gavin Newsom. He doesn't know Gavin Newsom cannot let those things slide. As much as he wants to criticize the president for not allowing, you know, he's a he's a fighter. You know, President Trump has said, somebody punches me, I'll punch back. It's exactly what Gavin Newsom is, too. Just a different package. It looks like Joe Biden more and more will be in it in 2020. He has been receiving regular briefings from executives at digital and social media companies to learn strategies for appealing to young voters. A spokesman for the one company told CNBC, we work with elected officials, candidates and former politicians regularly when it comes to getting the most out of Twitter. Yeah, think about that. Think that there are people who will be advising these campaigns in 2020, much more so than we saw in 2016, specifically about social media, specifically about these little tiny, what appear to be tiny things but that will turn into viral videos or, you know, snippets, GIFs, that sort of thing that show up and, and, and promote a candidate. Biden is 76, and that is going to be quite the Sisyphusian task to, Ooh, get, look at that word. to get Joe Biden into social media on his own. Right. He's got to have a person for that, like a 22-year-old for that. But I think he's 76. I mean, it's hard for us. He doesn't need to know how it works, perhaps, but if he learns the benefit of it, I think he would grasp it. I think he would be a guy. Did you see him putting a post together? Yeah. No. Kind of. Not. No. Sitting there in his loafers and his short shorts outside on his Camaro or his T-Bird or whatever he's working on. Critics of a potential Biden run have suggested that Democratic voters, the electorate in general, really, are going to swing the other way uh, and, and not pick a 76 or 72 year old in, in President Trump. They want to they want a fresh face. Um, we've talked before about the ongoing Michael Cohen testimony. Did you see this video of the guy eating pizza in the hallway? So everybody in the Capitol is just this is the only the only show in town yesterday was Michael Cohen oh, testifying. CBSN, which is their online version of what uh, CBS is, their reporter Ed O'Keefe is on Capitol Hill, and he's standing outside the Oversight Government Reform Committee hearing room. And as he's given a breakdown, oh, we're in a break now, but here's what Michael Cohen has said. There's a staffer behind him who has zero idea he's on camera. He is, the only word I can think of is gorfing. It's not a word. it down. Gorfing down this pizza in the background. I understand. Haven't you been that person, though, before? You're at work. It's a long day, and you get two seconds to eat, and you just inhale whatever it is. (laughs) That's that's exactly what that guy is. It was like us at the Oinkster with the burgers. (laughs) When you got a headache from eating so fast. (laughs) Uh, We we just retweeted that picture so you can check it out. This staffer eating, uh, new word, gorfing that pizza there in the hallway. All right. We come back. Um, we're going to recap what's been going on in uh, North Korea, perhaps uh, some of the updates in terms of what the president said in Alaska on that refueling stop that he made with Air Force One. Also ahead, speaking of refueling stop, we've got a terror in the skies story for Love you. It. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. But tell me what you've done for me. I know what's going on today. I think it. I think Handel left something in here. 
Well, there was that that, allergen in the. There was that stain on the floor. What is that? What? How do you? Check out our Instagram story for more on the stains. I ate an entire lunch in here in the last three hours, and there's not a crumb on this place. <sighs> we all have different behaviors. We do. YouTube, by the way, says it's going to be turning off comments on most videos that feature kids. Of course, this uh, this comes after advertisers started boycotting YouTube last week in response to inappropriate comments made on videos of minors. Interesting. Weird. Um, Santa Anita reopened today, by the way. Uh, racetrack officials said they went through and fully inspected, uh, and they do not think that there are any significant problems they can point to that would result in 19 horses dying at this track since the end of December. They said that above average rainfall could have been an issue, but uh, records don't really show any sort of seasonal difference when it comes to horse deaths. They can't quite figure out exactly what was going on. Robert Kraft has pleaded not guilty to two counts of misdemeanor solicitation solicitation of prostitution in a Florida case, uh, of course, coming out of Jupiter, Florida. And, it, you know, we were talking earlier about this. Prosecutors are going to have a tough time with this just because of the way the investigation was carried out into these, into these, I almost just said brothels, but massage parlors. Well, you were saying, we were talking about this earlier, There, there is a chance that the installation of those secret cameras may have been done illegally? Yeah, the law says, the law stipulates that you can only put in secret cameras in an investigation like this when there is no other evidence to obtain. There's no other way to obtain evidence. So there's an argument there. And then when he was pulled over, he was pulled over under the guise of it being a traffic stop, and then they asked for his ID. The problem is, is Robert Kraft wasn't driving. He had a friend driving him. So... A friend. That you mean chauffeur. Chauffeur. So that that may be thrown out as well. And again, it's it's like you said, it's a traffic ticket. I mean, it's going to be a, a fine and then up to 100 hours of community service or something of that nature. But he might not have to do any of that either. Yeah. And the, the positive, I suppose, for him is that the two women who were involved with his uh, – servicing maintenance servicing is a better way to put it um they weren't considered two of the human trafficked people no uh, they're in their 40s and 50s one of them owns the salon her name is lulu and she's going to be the one who's really in trouble for employing yes. all the people that were trafficked in for this uh purpose yeah i have a question sure um wait a minute why we're is talking about robert Kraft? Asking for his ID in that situation, why would that make it? Because I know that he obviously can't get the ticket because he's not driving. Exactly. But if he willingly gives up his ID when they ask for it, why is that not a legal identification? The argument would be that they were only using the traffic stop to identify him. Yeah, where's the probable cause? If you if right. if they say, I mean, if, and again, it would be easy for the cops to say it, and I don't know how they would prove otherwise. Well, the taillight was out, or they blew, they rolled through a stop sign, or oh, whatever okay. the infraction they said was the traffic stop. But if they just pulled him over and said, hey, by to the way, I, I need to see right. your ID. Oh, it's an illegal I search. And, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the president is on, a way, on his way back to the United States. Uh, he's stopped in Alaska, so technically he's already made it. Uh, but he's back on his way to D.C. after the stop in Hanoi, the, uh, the summit in Hanoi with North Korea's leader. Here is a strange thing. Now, the president left without signing any sort of agreement. And according to North Korea, 
we told them complete denuclearization and we'll drop the sanctions. Um, what we apparently have said is that's not necessarily the case. There's just there's disagreement over why there was no deal made in Hanoi. Do you and the president said it was better for me just to pick up and walk away. The timing wasn't right. Let's see what he said. Sometimes you have to walk. That's what he said. Now, do you know who's on his side in all of this and celebrating the fact that he walked away when he did without trying to force a deal? Hold on to your pants here. Barack Obama? Chuck Schumer. Okay. <laughs> but close. Yeah. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer took to the floor of the Senate today and said, President Trump did the right thing by walking away and not cutting a poor deal for the sake of a photo op. Just like the president, I want to deal with North Korea that would bring an end to conflict and change the course of the region. Now, he went on to urge the president to be equally willing to walk away from trade negotiations with China if we cannot secure some sort of a uh, favorable agreement. So sometimes you have to walk, he said, and this is just one of those times. And Chuck Schumer said, you get it, Donald, which I don't think has ever happened before, ever. At 150, Karen Travers is in Hanoi. We're going to wake her up once again since it's, you know, 10 minutes after 4 in the morning in Hanoi. I talked to her more about what it is, uh, how it was received in terms of the uh, the host country in Vietnam, what they thought about all of this, and if there is any potential for a third summit between the president and uh, the leader of North Korea. When the president stopped at that military base in Alaska, he did not comment on the discrepancy between the two sides on why the summit collapsed. Instead, he focused on the military, saying the U.S. is investing in missile defense technology and then issued a, a warning, really. He said, and I'm quoting here, America does not seek conflict, but if we are forced to defend ourselves, we will fight and we will win in an overwhelming fashion. Okay. I trust him. When we come back. Mike Pompeo, by the way, does say that nuclear negotiations with North Korea will resume quickly. Like tomorrow, right? tomorrow. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mark Saltzman is going to join us when we come back. And before you pick up that phone and start texting somebody, you might want to put a wrapper around it or something. Do you think Kyler Murray is on the phone with the A's right now? And saying if Bryce Harper can get... Yeah. (laughs) Why would you pick the NFL over what you could make in baseball and, and extend your career? I mean, football's such a gamble. Maybe he thinks he's better at football. Mm. Anyway. Maybe. All I know is he is 5'10.1 and weighs <laughs> 207 pounds. Point 0.1. Yeah, exactly. All right. Gary and Shannon will continue. So give me the green light. Let's go. I'm ready to go. Gary and Shannon. Hey, the Fred Hall Show is back. Do not miss out. The upcoming Fred Hall Show at the Long Beach Convention Center, March 6th through the 10th. One of America's largest fishing and boat shows in the western United States. The ultimate experience with hunting, camping, fishing, diving, off-road vehicles, water sports. Get all the info at fredhall.com. Hey, but right now we have a four-pack of tickets we're going to be giving away. All you need to do is be caller number 6, 1-800-520-1KFI, 800-520-1534. And caller 6 wins that four-pack of tickets to the upcoming Fred Hall Show at the Long Beach Convention Center, March 6th through March 10th.
I saw a troubling post on social media today. It Just was a, one, huh? It was a picture. <laughs> yeah, it was a picture of a bag of something called ketchup chips, like Lay's ketchup flavored kind of thing, and then like a can of milk in a bag. A can of milk in a bag? Yeah, it belonged to Mark Saltzman. Oh no. The machines are getting smarter. This is Tech Talk, brought to you by Skynet. Uh, Mark, before we get into all the technology <laughs> stuff, do you want to explain that? Shannon, you're so funny. That was scary to you. <laughs> I put a pic. I, I found two items in my kitchen that scream Canadian. I, I live in Canada, as many of your listeners may know. And one of the things that we love here that hasn't really become a, a thing in the states is ketchup-flavored potato chips. Yeah, this is like a really popular flavor for years. Uh, but it's hard to find uh, in, uh, you know, south of the 49th parallel. And so I found this bag of Lay's ketchup flavor chips. And we also have, in, in much of Canada, not across the entire country, we use bags of milk. So not a carton. We buy, like, a, it's like usually like a three-pack. And it's like a sealed bag. And then you pop it into this, like, little pitcher thing. And then you, you cut a little slit with scissors to, uh, to, to open the bag. And then that's what you pour into your your milk or your, your coffee or your cereal. And it's the thing we just use. We, I've grown up with this, uh, but in the States it's usually cartons, right? Yeah. So, or, so it's, I think so I posted this picture at Instagram saying, um, you know, there's probably nothing more Canadian than this picture of a bag of milk and a bag of ketchup chips. Uh, so I've been getting a lot I of love, comments on it. <laughs> I love yeah. learning things like that from there other strange lands. It's a little fun. bit of culture. Yeah. For you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you got to try them when I visit you next in LA, I'll have to bring you a bag of chips. I think the milk you could probably do without but the, the chips are <laughs> and not that you're supposed to have them together no. that's a little gross i think yeah speaking yeah, of yeah. gross uh your smartphone gross yeah up to six times more gross than a toilet seat according to some reports so you know it's no secret that yes many of us do bring our smartphone into the bathroom even though everyone denies it but even if you don't they do find on 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 uh, several phones if you find read any of these studies there's been a bunch of them one's from uh u of arizona they find fecal matter on smartphones they find e coli they find streptococcus and other fun bacteria that you don't want so why is that? Well, we touch our phones between three and 400 times a day, and that's, even, and that's a conservative estimate. If you're a millennial, it's probably a lot more than that. So even if you wash your hands all the time, you're touching you know, a door to get into a mall. You're, you're holding a subway pole, perhaps, on the way to work. You're, you're putting your hands on your desk at the office that was you know, quote-unquote cleaned at night. So th- where th- my point is that even if you wash your hands, you're, you're touching your, clean, uh, your phone afterwards so your screen is filthy. So that, that's what this story is about. It's been every couple of years we read this, but apparently we're not getting any better at this. So what can you do? The, you can clean your phone, please, for the love of God, clean your phone. It doesn't, uh, it, it's very simple. You use like a little microfiber cloth and maybe a little bit of, um, you can use soapy water or many people use like a rubbing alcohol. Uh, I use a product actually called Woosh. W-H-O-O-S-H. It's like a little spray bottle that I keep in my glove compartment. Uh, is that a Canadian reference? You know, glove in the, in the car, glove compartment. No, what do that's you guys good. Say? That's Ameri- that right? It's all that American, right? yes. Okay, yay. All right. <laughs> uh, or I'll keep it in my backpack when I travel. And I try to clean my phone, you know, once or twice a day. I'm not a germaphobe, even though Howie Mandel, who is Canadian, is. Uh, but I do try to keep my screen clean. <laughs> so you should think about it because there, there's been studies like if they do this like cotton swab thing uh, and they put it in a solution and they tell you what's on 
your smartphone screen or they use that blue light, you know, like from those hotels. Uh, so, yeah, oh you don't want to know what's on your phone. And let's face it, there's a certain website or two that are very popular on web browsers and we're increasingly using our phone. And uh, let's just say it's not just feces that could be on your screen. Whoa. That's all I'm going to say. This is, you know, family radio here. I'm out. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. I'm out. That's All right. it. Uh, He's tapping out. So Gary's this gone. Momo challenge thing, uh, there was a lot of talk on social media about this yesterday and a little bit the day before, and it looks like it's all a, a hoax. It's mass hysteria. Every couple of years, we have this thing that parents freak out about, and this time around, it's called the Momo challenge. And if it was the number one Google words uh, phrase searched on Google in 11 countries this past week. So I'm not going to get into the history of it, but it started in India. And then in, in, in February, uh, a young girl in uh, Sacramento turned on the gas stove uh, and told her mom that it was a Momo challenge. So what is this? Apparently, allegedly, which has not been verified by anybody, this is a weird-looking uh, girl. Uh, she's, it's actually a Japanese um, uh, creation, a piece of art, but with bulging eyes and long, straight black hair, a very creepy-looking figure that is supposedly popping up in YouTube videos and sent over, um, you know, uh, WhatsApp Messenger, telling kids to do bad things, kind of like a challenge and some suicide tips, depending on whom you believe. Disturbing nonetheless, but everybody has come out, uh, including all the social media sites, saying this is not a thing, parent. This, uh, this is not a thing that you have to worry about. It's, it's again, Momo itself is this innocuous sculpture created by a Japanese artist, but it, th th this is not a, a thing that you should worry about. It's not like eating Tide Pods or anything like that, um, you know, but, but it is something that parents are freaking out about. There's no proof that this Momo challenge exists, but I think it's still worth a conversation with the little kids in the language that you deem as appropriate, depending on their age, to let them know that there are some bad characters out there in cyberspace. They will try to possibly write and say things. You should never accept the challenge whenever you're being told to do this. I mean, it's common sense. But um, some of it is stemming from, I don't know if you ever saw that Netflix episode called Shut Up and Dance about a, a teenager who was, let's just say, relieving himself in front of his computer. And then he got a, an anonymous message that said, I have just watched what you did. And here's the proof. I've hacked your webcam. And if you don't do this, then and it turns it gets bigger and bigger things like robbing a bank and all that. I'm going to send this video to everybody that you know. So it started with that, and then, it, you know, so just don't worry about Momo Challenge. It's not a thing, but it's not a bad having a conversation with your kids. Yeah, I was going to say that that's, that's the positive that can come out of that is, it, if nothing else, have the conversation that there are people out there who want you to do dumb things. That's right. Never accept these stupid challenges. But that being said, Shannon, I know, follows me on social, and yesterday I did share some YouTube videos that were taken down in the company's defense that, that look like kid videos. And in the middle of it, there was a guy telling kids how to off themselves. Oh, and that's wow. very disturbing that someone would even do this. So YouTube is trying to find out who that was, but they took down, obviously, all those videos. So, yeah, stay vi vigilant, parents. Report anything you see and have that awkward but necessary discussion with I would your kids bet as well. all of my possessions, uh, everything I own, that that person is not a Canadian. <laughs> you never know. We've had some. Uh, we have this big serial killer now. Is a serial killer in in the news here? That's uh, pretty 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 disgusting. We're 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 not all nice and you know friendly as everybody perceives us. So, Mark, you're the <laughs> nicest I can't, I can only one. speak for myself. Well, uh, you get it. a bag of milk when I see you enjoy next year. Oh, nice guy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
Thanks, guys. All right. And you can follow Mark, of course, on uh, Twitter and find his uh, ketchup chips. Mark with a C underscore and Saltzman. All right. Coming back. It's time for Terror in the Skies. Michael Chappé has Why an update on Why are you Batman whenever you say that? I'm not, I'm, I'm not putting you down. I'm just curious what brings Batman out with Terror in the Skies. I don't know. Because okay. he had a plane. Okay. It's good enough. Yeah, thank you. No matter what we breed, we still are made of greed. This is my kingdom come. This is my kingdom come. Gary and Shannon. I have some Beta O'Rourke news. Oh. Beta O'Rourke news. Hold it back no further. Everybody, sir. everybody that's been waiting for the Beta O'Rourke news, line up right here. Beta O'Rourke, the former congressman from Texas, says he has made up his mind about whether he's going to run for president. Survey and, and, and he says he'll tell us next week or something. So those of you breathlessly waiting to find out what Beto's going to say. create some buzz yes, next week? that's exactly what he's trying to do. Uh, he says he has made a decision. So there. You know, that's it's one thing if, like, Joe Biden does that. But when you're Beto O'Rourke, I mean, have he, a little bit of perspective. He does have some name recognition, but like uh, he's been in, co- he was in Congress for four, seven, four, four, seven, four minutes uh, and then lost to Ted Cruz. So he's doing nothing now. Of course, he's going to make a big deal out of this. Hey, I've got Melania Trump news. She has also decided what she will be doing in 2020. No, but oh. she knows what she is going to do next week. What is she, she doing next week? She is going on a three-state tour to promote her Be Best initiative. Oh. She'll travel to Oklahoma, Washington, and Nevada, her first domestic overnight trip in her official capacity. Do you think she says something to her husband, uh, which is like, hey, let's tone it down a little bit on Twitter while I'm out there talking about not bullying people on the Internet? Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know if if that conversation has been had, if they even know, like, even understand the irony of that, of the first lady's initiative to be to stop bullying on social media. And that's one of his favorite things to do. Mm. I don't know if they even know. I I don't even think that he thinks it's bullying, that he just is speaking the truth. That's probably a good point. Hey, do you smell that? Flight 209, you are cleared to take off. Roger, get off my plane. Roger, Roger. What's our vacation? I know. I have had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday flight. It's Gary and Shannon's Terror in the Skies on KFI. But there are some times when you take a moment and you step back and you realize that really sounded weird. It did, and I apologize. That is not me. I mean, it was, oh but I'm gosh. not doing that live. There was a uh, an Alaska Airlines 737 <laughs> flying from Chicago to Seattle, and they had to divert to Minneapolis. Why, Gary? Well, the crew and the passengers were struggling to breathe. Twelve people actually had to be treated. There were 114 on board. Twelve of them had to be treated for breathing difficulties. Four crew members were hospitalized because of what they said was a strange odor oh that smell 
smelled so good. That filled the aircraft. <laughs> uh, they said the odor was like burned plastic. Oh. But they couldn't figure out exactly. So some sort of chemical, maybe. Yeah. So that's now, why the hospitalization. Whenever I see somebody complain about a strange odor that requires uh, some sort of medical care, I always assume someone had a pepper spray canister that went off or, you know, mace or something like that that they weren't supposed to have and accidentally got sprayed into the cabin. But a burning plastic uh, filling the cabin, that's not – that would be a little scarier than just a pepper spray. Yeah, that could be an electric line or something. Yeah. Oh, God. So they went from uh, Chicago to Minneapolis, of all places, and then uh, I guess – Eventually got onto a, a different flight, and made their way to Seattle. So uh, that's the good news. You know what's uh, you know what's always fun uh, on a plane or a long flight is when someone's got a baby, and the baby's got to get the diaper changed, and there's not a lot of circulation in the cabin, and, well, you, and you can't smell there, that kid's butt for like hours. There's almost no room in a lot of those uh, those airplane bathrooms. No, they do, do it do right it. in the seat. I don't think we ever did that. I, and we didn't well, travel a whole lot with our kids, but the times that we did, you could uh, sort of cordon off an area in the uh, at the gate right before you get on the plane. Yeah. Like last moment, new new diaper, get on that plane. But then again, we never really traveled anywhere outside the West Coast, I think, with the kids. So we didn't have to worry about a five-hour flight or anything. That is a smell that is unholy. It is ungodly. Let me tell you, when you're changing your own kids' diapers, it's fine. I mean, it's not like, oh, that smells delightful, but it's fine. If you have to change somebody else's diaper, like you're babysitting or it's a niece or a nephew or something like that, that is nuclear. And that is unfortunate. I feel that way about every single diaper. Right. Right. I know. I'm, yeah. just, I'm saying. Okay. If you had to change your own diaper, it would probably be like, well. If you know, I had to change fine. my own diaper, we're into a different conversation. Okay, coming up next, let's go live to Vietnam, shall we? (sighs) God, Gary and Shannon, you know, it's fine. Gary and Shannon, wrapping up the show today, we were talking about a bunch of different stories, including Michael Cohen back on Capitol Hill for day three. Today, he was testifying in front of the House Intelligence Committee behind closed doors. Uh, We also found out right before we started the show that Luke Perry had been taken to the hospital. It was actually yesterday that he suffered a stroke of some degree. And uh, they have said since then that he is now in a medically induced coma at the age of 52 is Luke Perry. Well, President Trump has left Vietnam. Karen Travers has not. (laughs) She joins us now to tell us all about the summit and what the uh, fallout, I guess, has been or the reaction has been to this cut short meeting between the president and Kim Jong-un. You know, the president uh, putting his spin on the summit, saying that he just wasn't ready to sign the deal that Kim put on the table, that Kim was asking for complete relief sanctions, lifting of all of the economic penalties, and that he wasn't 
offering enough in the ways of uh, concession. I mean, the, the administration has said they want to see a complete denuclearization, a complete verifiable uh, denuclearization before they consider lifting these penalties. Kim asked for that to happen with the offering that he would close down one major or dismantle one major complex. The president says, you know, in negotiating, you have to be ready to walk away, and he did just that yesterday. The interesting thing is that there was a lot of consternation in the days leading up to the summit that the president was going to be so eager to make a deal, so eager to come home with you know, a, a diplomatic victory that he might make too many concessions. We didn't see that happen. Yeah, he actually was praised for that by Chuck Schumer on the floor of the Senate a few hours mm-hmm. ago, saying that this is exact, you know, that he agrees with the president's decision to walk away from this. That no deal is better than a bad deal. Uh, I think you're hearing a lot of that from Washington. But I think there are concerns, though, then of uh, you get 20 hours of travel, you get to Hanoi for this two day summit, and you don't have anything then to come home with. Why are you doing it? There has to be a better way to do these conversations. And, you know, there have been talks between the U.S. and North Korea, and they've recently been stalled. And experts we talked to say that their read on this was that the North Koreans feel. Nothing happens until it's President Trump in the room. We've seen him change his mind. We've seen him contradict senior aides. So any envoy, even the Secretary of State, all the legwork they're doing may not matter until the president's in the room. The other interesting thing is these summits are always highly choreographed. And and in past administrations, when the leaders come into the room, they're just crossing the T's and dotting the I's. All of the wrinkles have been ironed out in advance, so you know you have a deliverable. Not how it works with this administration, because the president likes to take an active role in the process. But what that means then is sometimes you end up with this result where you come all the way here and you don't leave with anything. Well, we don't leave with anything, but the secretary of state has suggested that this talk this, it will just be ongoing. In fact, it's going to pick up right away. Yeah, and in some ways, the experts we spoke to say that that's good for North Korea. You know, that's a win for them to have this an open-ended process because it doesn't have them commit to any benchmarks or deadlines. And they haven't done anything in the past eight months in Singapore that would indicate they're moving any closer to giving up their nuclear weapons. We've seen senior officials, the intelligence chiefs a couple of weeks ago say that there's no indication that Kim Jong-un is ready to do that. And he certainly wasn't put under any pressure at this summit to actually follow through. What's the reaction been like in Vietnam for for this summit that was uh, cut short? You know, there's a lot of uh, hoopla surrounding this, uh, signs and flags up all over. But, you know, it's a bustling uh, city. And I think a lot of it was just business as usual. If you weren't in, immediately connected to the summit, there are signs, though, outside our hotel and, uh, like, along the city center area that say Hanoi, the city for peace. Now there's a certain, you know, well, maybe not this time. <laughs> it's the city to cut out a couple hours early on and still make the uh, make the evening news. Uh, when when do you get to fly home? Uh, in, uh, five hours we take off from here for what's about a twenty three hour trip back. Oh <laughs> no, that's the worst. <laughs> we a long trip too. Yeah, we get it's just you got to go through somewhere else and make then like another fourteen hour flight. But uh, 
you know, in theory, we won't be landing to any news. It's all been made, hopefully, but I probably just jinx myself. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I hope you get some sleep on the plane and enjoy the 16 uh, movies you're going to have time to watch. I was going to say, please send movie recommendations. I was smart and waited till after the Oscars to watch any of them. Oh, <laughs> oh good. 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 Well, Karen, thank you for your time. We appreciate your, oh, uh, your work Oh, I'll tell you one not week. to watch. Yeah. The one that yeah. you told me to watch, Gary, and I watched it on a flight and I was depressed by the time I landed. Oh, beautiful boy. Beautiful boy. Don't watch Steve that Carell. one. Okay. Oh, wildly depressing. I need light comedy. Yeah, crazy <laughs> rich Asians. That's my recommendation. I it on the way here. Oh yeah, <laughs> so good. All right. Well, thanks so much for your work. We appreciate it. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> thanks so much. All right. Uh, that's great. That's a good plane movie. Uh, especially if you're heading to Asia, right? Crazy rich Asians. Is that is that intentional or no? Oh. I didn't mean to be intentional. But, yeah, that was Singapore. That was their last summit meeting. Cory Booker is rolling out legislation today to legalize pot nationwide. Really? And everybody else who's running in 2020 is on board as co-sponsoring it. Bernie Sanders, (laughs) Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Christian Gillibrand. I don't know if that's going to fly. They all want the pot legal. That's very in right now. I just don't know if that's going to fly. I, I, well, not everybody's a teetotaler like yourself. I didn't say I'm a teetotaler. I'm just saying I don't know how that flies with the, the Democratic base. Is that an issue that is, is a like a, Listen, if a gen- turning point if, if for all, people? If all gender bathrooms were an issue, then pot's probably going to be up so there. So would then, let's see, they have not yet determined where the Democratic National Convention is going to be, but I think it's down to Miami and Milwaukee. If I'm not mistaken, those two places. And and it's not legal in either one of those states. If I'm arranging a presidential uh, convention, yes. I am not going to send the whole party to Miami because somebody's ending up in a strip club or a, a Jupiter, Florida massage parlor. Miami's a very dangerous place. Milwaukee to go. would be much safer. Milwaukee, in terms of much safer. Staying out no of trouble. No one's going to get. Uh, Asian orchid spa treatment in Milwaukee. Is that why Republicans went to Cleveland of yes. all places? Yes. Because there wasn't going to be much of an issue? Right. The worst that's going to happen is you're going to end up on the floor at the Jack Casino with Ray Lopez. Which is well, we actually, pretty bad. I mean, we, because of Ray Lopez, we actually ended up with like a security guy following us around that casino. Right, which made us feel slightly important considering how much attention was being paid to other people that week. Thank you, Ray. John and Ken Show coming up next. See you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Blessings. Watch for another episode soon of Gary and Shannon.